With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Here are your hosts, Dave AC and... The Sixth Doctor. Welcome everyone, this is Dave AC and uh, I'm uh, hosting today's call of the Cotton Collective and I'll explain why in a moment. Uh, welcome, we have a small but very uh, nicely formed group of people in the room with us. Uh, this is the last of our live monthly summer recess, summer school, all the naughty ones together uh, for summer school in the room. Uh, what we did this year, although we do cover all sorts of cult TV programs, we cover comics, books, anime, horror, fantasy and so on, uh, our main uh, bread and butter, in fact, our main uh, fish fingers and custard is Doctor Who. So while Doctor Who's been off the air, we went to a monthly format. We will be back in three weeks' time on Sunday the 20th of September, the day after the first episode of Series 9 of Doctor Who airs, both here in the UK, in America, and I think before it airs in Australia as well. And we will be doing Doctor Who topics themed really through towards Christmas with maybe a couple of weeks break before we have the Doctor Who Christmas special. So today, as the last of our monthly meetups, we're going to, uh, first of all, we've got quite a little bit of news to catch up with with having gone uh, a whole month without meeting up. We've got a new Doctor Who trailer, the second Doctor Who trailer, to make a short discussion of. Those people that are with me live in the room, I've given uh, uh, the links for them to actually have a quick watch of that. It's only one minute long. But if you go to dot2news.net site, those people listening to the recording later, just pause this and go and watch the uh, trailer if you haven't seen it because we will be talking about it. Well, that's enough preamble from me. Let's uh, introduce who we have in the room. And at the top of my list is Rick Wall. Hi, Rick Wall. Hello, David. Good to have you here. That's really great. And uh, we've also got Mike, Mike Randall Thor, third wheel on our commentaries for now in the room. Hi, Mike. Hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. Good. And uh, by the way, if anybody's listening and they may have seen Mike tweet a little bit about that, uh, we're parting company on friendly terms. It's nothing to do with him not enjoying doing those commentaries. It's just the way that uh, the Doctor Who is progressing for Mike, so he's stepping away for uh, a while with those commentaries, but we will give him even more praise on the final episode, part three, of the two Doctors' commentaries 
that we're in, still in the process of doing. So thanks for that, Mike. Two more episodes to go, and then you can have a little bit of unpaid leave as opposed to unpaid work. <laughs> We've got a, a new person joining us in the room, uh, familiar on TalkShoe, has been um, on a couple of shows, in fact, joined us on the uh, Friday night Quizmasters show, and that's Donaldson. Hi, Donaldson. Greetings. Thank you for ta- having me on the call. And uh, I'm just looking at the Wikia, Doctor Who, uh, I, and just catching up myself, so it should be Good. interesting. <clears throat> yep, we we won't be talking any spoilers about Series 9 coming up, but we will be talking about the trailer and what we can glean from it. We have one more person on audio to introduce, and that's Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hi, Darth. Hello, good sir. How are you? That's very pleased. Uh, good, and uh, glad you can join us. Yes, um, that uh, link is uh, to the Esquire list. Hopefully you've now got... Um, let me uh, find out who's under the cone. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never uh. worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? Yes, and another huh? cone, we just have a small cone, but again, another perfectly formed one. We have uh, Tim, Tim Fisher, who joins us again on the uh, the uh, oh, quiz, Friday Night Quizmasters. Let's give it its correct name, and if I'm very quick, I might just be able to very quickly find the link. As I also say that we have, <clears throat> as always, Cybob in the room with us. Thank you, Cybob. Yeah, it's Friday Night Quizmasters, and that's call ID 136456, and that's on at 9 p.m. Eastern on Friday evenings. And you'll be most welcome by the host, uh, that is Jeff, uh, to join us. I do have two more things to mention, and that are two apologies. Ian, the Six Doctor, my normal co-host, the one that usually runs um, the, uh, the call when we are live, is celebrating with his family and his son, who's just turning 16 this weekend. So uh, I hope uh, he's having a great holiday, and the younger son and wife are also enjoying that event too. And I've unfortunately had uh, uh, apologies from Ken, who who doesn't feel up to joining us live uh, at the moment, but he's gathering his strength to be joining us, as I say, Sunday the 20th of September, when we plough full steam ahead into our Doctor Who reviews. Right, with that, let's get to the news. Go type in monkey, go! Yes, I uh, forgot to crack the whip on that guy, and uh, all his keepers were uh, taking a little nap, so uh, I did that myself. Okay, well, we've got uh, some news, and we're going to go to Mike first with news, and then we'll follow on with that with Mike with Rick Wall. So, Mike, you've got some news. Uh, yes, I do. As I've been doing here in Copen recently, I've been keeping up with Twin Peaks and X-Files news, and I have news on both fronts. First of all, Twin Peaks is finally entering production. Uh, this is going to delay Showtime's plans to air the, ser- the series in 2016, 
will probably air in sometime in 2017. But, of course, Mark Frost and David Lynch are on board writing all the episodes of this season. The Showtime has taken, has, they've back and they've not confirmed how many episodes are in this season. And that's down to how Frost and Lynch are writing and producing these episodes or directing these episodes. They're writing these episodes as this new season as if it's one long movie. And once they've filmed everything, then, then they're going to cut it up into episodes. So previously we had about nine episodes confirmed. Now it's however many they end up with. Uh, so far, the only confirmed Returning cast members Kyle McLaughlin as agent, Special Agent Bill Cooper, uh, but other crew members returning: Angelo Badalamente returning as composer for the series. So that's that, that's good. The, the the music that made Twin Peaks famous back back in the early 90s, Badalamente is back on board. So that's good to hear. And of course, as I said, they're going to start production in September. Well, I should say this coming month. So that's that's good news. X Files. We have some confirmed. All the episode titles have been confirmed for the six episodes. I'm not going to read them. Because whatever. The only one that I'm going to note here is that episode two is called Home Again, which if you if you if you if you watch the original X Files, one of the oft uh, commented scariest episodes of the X Files, Home. That title just reminds me of Home Again. Uh oh. Files is on track for a to, to be premiered in late January next year. And the only other cult thing that I have to mention is, is that Art Bell is back on the air for those who listen to that radio that Coast to Coast AM show. He's back on the air with a new radio show, Midnight and the Desert. And that's all the cult news that I have. Thank you very much for that, Mike. Yep, that's great. Uh, Rick Wall. Okay. Uh, I kind of sort of have some news. It's not TV, movie, and or sci-fi or horror uh, related. However, uh, as some of you guys already know, uh, I'm self-publishing a poetry book or a book of poetry. And uh, I uh, uh, signed all the contracts with my with the people who are going to print and whatnot the book, so it should be out. I hope within a few months. Okay, and presumably you'll keep us informed near the time. Yep. If I if I may. Yeah, surely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we won't twist any, we won't twist anybody's arms, but we'll. Uh, Give them the information, at least. Okay, let's uh, move on to Darth, who I believe has some news as well. Just a little bit. Uh, it's, I guess up to you whether you want to look at it or not. I unfortunately uh, came across it, and there was no way to look away once I came across it. But there is now an official picture of uh, Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker from Episode 7. It's out there. If you want to take a look at it, go and take a look at it. Also, in the realm of not really news, but we only do these things monthly, um, there have been in the past month a number of different interviews with Peter Capaldi and Stephen Moffat and uh, Gomez, Michelle Gomez and who's left? Clara. Um, 
Jim Louise Coleman. Um, and they've all been surprisingly really good. Um, there were a few from San Diego Comic-Con, uh, but maybe most notably from there, there was a sort of closed-door event that was only open to 200 people. So even if you went to San Diego, the chances are you didn't see it. Uh, but it was a very intimate sort of thing. It was hosted by Nathan Fillion, who is, of course, a, a well-known Doctor Who fan from America. Uh, and he facilitated a sort of exciting little um, roundtable that it, I think it was like 45 minutes, something like that, maybe an hour, um, easily available on YouTube. Um, and then there was a surprisingly good interview from Germany. I was kind of rocked back by this because, you know, Germany has sort of changed the way that it's distributing Doctor Who this year. Um, and they've just become sort of more friendly in general to Doctor Who. And they, uh, the crowd went over from England, so it wasn't that big of a flight, but I guess they had just come back from San Diego Comic-Con, so really they were en route from San Diego. Um, and they... Uh, it's it's a really good interview um, that is quite different, has lots of different questions than those that were asked in San Diego. So both of those are well worth uh, looking at. Just a lot of publicity this time. Not quite the publicity from last year where, of course, we had you know this grand world tour event. I kind of missed that. Um, but uh, reports from San Diego were really good. Uh, there were lots of video that you can find that sort of amateur video of the BBC America booth, how expanded it is from um, any other instance of BBC America at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, of course, there was also a comic panel that you can find um, probably with amateur video um, that involved people from Titan Comics and, and their efforts. I think I think that one also had Paul Cornell like it. It was the whole Four Doctors um, press junket. That also is interesting. Um, so Doctor Who had a really good uh, time at San Diego Comic-Con. Probably the best. I mean, it's a little hard to judge whether this one or the uh, 2000, what would that be? 2009 one was bigger. Because, of course, the 2009 one was the confluence of um, the end of the David Tennant era and also Children of Earth. So you had, you know, sort of Torchwood and Doctor Who firing on really big cylinders back then. But I think that there were more people and, and certainly there were more panels than during that last time. So Doctor Who has had a reasonable slice of the American media market. But I think they missed a trick, though, because what I wanted to see, because I am a big fan <laughs> strangely, of Craig Ferguson's new show, The um, Celebrity Name Game, which is kind of an adaptation of the old $25,000 pyramid, if you know that, um, except it only involves the names of people, really. Um, I, You know, I would have loved to have seen the Doctor Who crew be on that show when they were out in, in San Diego. And of course, because Craig Ferguson and Peter Capaldi are friends, that would have made it, you know, even more interesting. Um, but I gather that didn't happen. Uh, but that, that that is still one of my secret hopes of the Peter Capaldi era is to see Peter Capaldi on an American game show. <laughs> I don't know why, but there we go. Brilliant. Um, yeah, I think I saw some of those uh, uh, interviews, certainly with Nathan Fillion. Mind you, he was a mm -hmm. bit on the one I saw. He was a bit lazy because. Um, 
instead of picking out people to speak to the yeah. panel, he said, you you do it. And <laughs> and he was basically slouching back in his T-shirt saying, uh, geek on it. And, uh, <laughs> and that didn't wear much. Uh, and shouldn't be critical, but uh, he looked as though he was on his holidays. He looked as though he'd uh, let himself go a little bit for the holidays. But uh, nonetheless, <laughs> it was interesting. Well, I mean, he was he was unshaven and um, yeah, not yeah, his yeah. lean, usual self. Uh, he was basically just enjoying himself. Um, well, he, was, don't forget, he also had a a lot of other stuff yeah, to do at, it, at he Comic Con. They they had that sort of semi Firefly thing. And if you like Firefly, by the way, and I think most of us do, the other interesting thing was that his partner in crime on on Firefly, um, Tudic, um, was hosting the Flash panel. Oh, that same sort of intimate venue, and uh, that was awesome because he's right. a big flash. I'm sorry, I, I say flash. I mean arrow. I was going to say because I saw the arrow one. I didn't. I was a bit upset. I saw it because there were a lot of spoilers given in that one uh, for series three, which yeah. obviously I haven't seen series three. Oh, but series yes. three, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. There were some teasers for series four. Uh, he came mm-hmm. on with his um, his new costume for series four of uh, Arrow. And he made reference to the fact um, he called himself Green Arrow, and somebody yeah, yeah, quiz- yeah, yeah. asked him about that again. Well, with spoilers, but they were asking about which direction they were going to go, and he said, "Well, I've just called myself Green Arrow, so you can infer from that we're going back more comic book style." Um, I think they're trying to inject mm-hmm. more humour into it, going a, a little less dark. Um, but uh, just to, to follow on from what you said, yeah, the, there was a, another. Uh, Sherlock panel that I uh, watched as well just recently on the Netflix, um, which right. w- 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 was a good one. And they had um, the the mm-hmm. actor who plays Lestrade on it, um, and um, and Stephen Moffat and his wife. <laughs> and they were getting some good questions there, about asking are any more of their family going to start appearing in the show? And um, there was one bleak. Re- reference to the very last episode of uh, Sherlock in 3 where uh, if you remember towards the end when uh, Sherlock has done a deed um, and uh, they're quizzing his brother about you know it's a bit unreliable and there's some reference to say well you remember what happened with the other one and it wasn't actually said whether that other one was a, a third brother or anything Somebody tried to get some information out of Stephen Moffat about that, but he wasn't forthcoming. So I'm not going to give any spoilers away because they were none to be given. But um, that was a good little panel. Uh, but the Arrow, I, I couldn't believe how much I've missed in Series 3 that of the Arrow. I'm mm-hmm. not going to say what it was, but uh, all different uh, different people getting costumes, let's say that. Nearly everybody's getting costumed up in it from what I was reading. And uh, a certain John Barrowman was absolutely beaming about the latest development with his character uh, that's going to happen or is happening. And um, I, I heard something about Felicity Smoke that I've been very pleased to hear because I like her character. But there you go. Hmm. I must get serious. <laughs> Arrow. Uh, so, yeah, it's yeah. funny, though. Uh, you're talking about John Berriman there. We'll linger on that for a little bit because, um, I, you know, with with the coming of his character again in season four, uh, now I think that we geeks have to stop thinking of him as as Captain Jack because really he's got more screen time now as I mean I don't I don't know how much as as his character in Arrow let's put it that way 
Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, he's, he, he seems to have more than a double personality. Let's put that. It, well, yeah, exactly. Which is interesting because, you know, when it, when it first started, you, you know, season two, he kind of faded away from He's in it a little bit. But, you know, really, he is sort of a major character in one, three, and four. Um, so, well, he's, he's definitely a major character of one. Um, but, um, yeah, it's weird because, you know, I, I thought forever John Barrowman was, to the geek community, just going to be Captain Jack. But really, at this point... He has done more work on Arrow. So. Well, I have to say, I think he acts better on Arrow than anything else. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the best thing I've ever seen him in. <laughs> Flat. I mean, well, I guess he's a, he, is, he is really good in Children of Earth because the character is written really oh, well. And there's yeah, an interesting yeah. psychological drama. But, you know, not season one of Torchwood, not season two. He is just John Barrowman, you know. But... Um, He's he's really quite good, quite convincing. I mean, he's getting good material too, and he's also not being overexposed. He's not the lead, um, so he's he's an interesting character role, um, which I think is right up his alley, so to yeah. speak. But I would say if anybody hasn't seen series three of Arrow, and of course it's it's finished, I think in the states, uh, but th- there was an awful yeah. lot of uh, spoilers uh, and some hints about um, character developments of. Um, uh, the, the person who plays his, who fi- he finds out is his daughter. That was found out in series two, so that's not a spoiler. But she's got development. Digby seemed to have uh, development. You know, the the bodyguard uh, partner for the Arrow. He's got a development coming. And mm-hmm. one thing that surprised me: the the guy who plays the policeman is he Canadian or English? Because his accent was completely different on the panel. You know, he plays the cop, the uh, the uniform cop. Um, of the two, two girls. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I've not. He's, he's got a real, you know, American New York accent, as I call it, or whatever. But he's sounding almost in English. Ah, oh, yeah. what is girl says it? What is girl Because I've never been convinced by that. I've always found his accent weird. Uh, right. So it's encouraging to know that he's not, in fact, American. Right. Well, he probably sounds American to me because that's how I hear English actors sound American. If, if you know, if you can oh, yeah, watch that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and oh, we to say, by the way, one other little thing. Uh, this week, Doctor Who season nine, because that's how it's marketed in America as season nine, not series nine. Right. Uh, is up for sale on iTunes in the U.S. store. And if you want to get you know, back um, seasons, they're on discount, I think, through Monday or Tuesday or something like that. Season 8 is particularly well discounted. It's only like 15 bucks. So if you don't actually have copies yet of uh, Season 8, that's the by far the cheapest way to do it. And I can tell you that although you get a little bit more on the Blu-ray discs, uh, the iTunes extra features package is really pretty good. Um, and so would I jump at 15 bucks instead of paying whatever it is now for the actual physical disc? I probably would, especially now that you can do family sharing through Apple and therefore, you know, instead of having to buy a copy for yourself and your son and your uncle and your hairdresser or whatever, you can only buy one copy and distribute it for 15 bucks among, you know, several different people and therefore save a hell of a lot of money. Okay. Well, to to keep on that then, I was going to mention some, other news. And by the way, uh, when they said he's actually Scottish, but uh, it seems as though he must have been brought up in uh, 
Oh, mostly raised in the stateside. Um, just talking mm. about that, the BBC uh, Worldwide, which might be getting sold off from the BBC because they're having all sorts of issues with their funding. Uh, they've got to have their their um, license um, renewed soon, and there's a worry that, first of all, it's going to be frozen. Second, that it won't be for another 10 years, maybe for a shorter time period. And they've just announced that they're going to get rid of um, about three more, three thousand more uh, office staff are back, backroom boys, as you might call it. But um, uh, on the Doctor Who News site, one of the items I'm going to read, but I'll read it now first, is UK to get individual series one to four on Blu-ray sets. So they're, they're coming as Blu-ray sets. Um, and that was dated the 26th of August on there. But um, we'll just uh, go with some... Um, Sad news, firstly, um, and while we've been talking, uh, Merlin, who joined us, and Willis Girl have joined us since I did the introductions, welcome on the show. Um, Merlin says, um, Dr. Oliver Sacks of Awakening fame has passed uh, away, uh, sadly. I did just put a, a link in the, the room, um, uh, aged 82, um, professor of neurology at New York University of Medicine, um, but um, he held the position of Columbia artist, which is recognised for his contributions to art and science. Um, uh, his 1973 book, Awakenings, autobiographical account of efforts to help with, I think that's the uh, the right uh, person that uh, is being quoted about. Yes. Ah, good. Um, so that that is one side. That, and I was going to mention that since we did our last show, um, on Monday the 27th of July, it was announced that Robin Phillips, uh, born in 1942, has just died at the age of 73. Robin Phillips played uh, Altos in the five episodes of the 1964 story, The Keys of Marinus, uh, accompanying the Doctor and companions on their quest for the uh, Conscience Keys. Um, he's been in Compact, Foresight Saga, The Avengers, The Saint, uh, and played um, uh, a character in Charles Dickens' David Copperfield. Uh, so uh, sadly, uh, he has passed away. And there's also, um, oh, just scroll to the bottom of my page. So I just have to scroll it back up. Um, we also had um, another sad passing. Uh, where's it gone? Uh, Rob, uh, where's it gone? Uh, I'm sorry about that. I've got three pages of Doctor Who news listed up here. And I do apologise. Because uh, all I want to mention these to, to uh, cover... The, ah, there we are. Uh, Alan Wakeman. Uh, this was announced on the 21st of August. Um, author and activist Alan Waitman died at the age of 79. Um, uh, he never actually got a script of his, but he wrote the script, The Living Planet. So the Doctor and his companions land uh, on a planet uh, that was a living creature. Something I think that they actually ended up doing in Blake Sevenar. used a similar idea in that. Uh, but he produced a full synopsis and script um, uh, for Airfish, the first of four episodes. Um, and so 
he's one of the ones that's mentioned in um, uh, Tin Dog's um, um, Mike's um, Who Astrology as well. So um, he has not a, a great input into Doctor Who, but he's nonetheless uh, in and known for the fact that he produced the script for Doctor Who. So um, having mentioned those sad pieces of news, let me quickly go through some of the things uh, that we missed, again, from DoctorWhoNews.net. And um, we've got um, 3D Cinema event for the US has been um, uh, dropped. This was going to be... um, uh, Oh, no, sorry. I'm getting mixed up. I'm sorry, I got distracted there with something happening in the tech. Yeah, I hope not, because I've got tickets. They better be valid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, uh, it's the spectacular in New York that has been um, been cancelled. So let me go through these in the order of it. There's a 3D oh. cinema event for the US. Hello? Oh, crap. Uh, the, the, I hope they were funding the money then. Right, well, let me go through it. So I don't want to give you any uh, doubts. Those people are just joining us. I will unmute in a minute, but I'm uh, without Ian here to sort of hold my hand. I'm uh, just uh, trying to do one thing at once. So uh, Doctor Who fans in the United States will get a chance to relive the climax of Series 8 with a special 3D uh, screening of um, Dark Water and Death in Heaven. Uh, and that is on the September the 15th and 16th. So I am reading it as news because those events have not happened yet. We've got the uh, items that was mentioned about um, NASA uh, that have shown uh, on Sharon naming some of the parts of uh, uh, the other planetoid with uh, Pluto. Uh, There's an area there that they're giving names for and a lot of names have been put forward with a science fiction bent, Skywater Crater, um, Vulcan Planium, Kirk Crater, Sulu Crater, Kubrick Mons, um, and also we have one for the um, oh, Ripley Crater, and then these Gallifrey Macula and Tardis Chasma. Now, these are not official names, but they were invited, people were invited to put forward names for this particular area of surface features. Uh, I'm going to clear that page out now because it's confusing me with all these pages. Um, and I'm coming up, I am there. We've got a people roundup. Uh, and I'm just, I think I'll put this into the room because there's about 10 items a lot of the doctor who actors are involved with other projects currently um uh matt smith is beginning filming for netflix the crown um uh, christopher Eccleston eccleston this year tribute in um, manchester to the peterloo massacre colin baker is going to be in a new series called hell um uh, Fraser Hines has been appearing in Agatha Christie, and then there were none. And there's quite a lot of others. This is Dr. Usenet, uh, People Roundup. So I'll leave people to check that out themselves. And let me see if there's anything else I want to mention, because we're already 30 minutes in. 
And um, I think I'm going to go straight to the last page. Sorry about this. That's all right. Yes. New York Symphonic Spectacular shows cancelled. I wanted to get to this one. Uh, two 2.2 Symphonic Spectacular shows set for New York have been cancelled. The shows were scheduled for the 7th of October uh, at the Barclays Centre in New York uh, and to be hosted were to be hosted by Michelle Gomez. Is that the one you're referring to that you were hoping to go to, Rick? Yep. I'll put the link in the room then so you can read it uh, to more details. And I think at that point I'm going to end those links. Now, notice that Donaldson has uh, put a request to talk there, but he's not muted. Is that because you've got some audio, uh, some news for us, uh, Donaldson? Hey, greetings. Am I on? Yeah, we can hear you. Fantastic. So I have just written a a brief story, and I'm going to go ahead and share that with you here. One second. Is this a news item or, or what? Be right with you here. Sorry about this. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just going to mute you. I, I'm, I'm, we are live, so I just need to give a little bit more of um, knowing what we're doing. Is this a news item for us? Otherwise, um, can I ask you to put some information in text? I'll just unmute you for a moment. Well, I'm glad you unmuted me because the story is something I had just written. Um, this just in. Sorry, People sorry. have been... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, is this a news-related item? I'm sorry to say... It is a news-related item. It, it's just probably not something mentioned on any mainstream source. If it's okay... It's just a surmise. It's, it's, it's mostly opinion, but it is written in the style of a news report. <sighs> Ultimately, people have been mentally conditioned to feel like superheroes in an effort by the elite to create a generation of people that feel that they can save the world, thus creating a society of revolutionaries and setting the stage for mass incarceration possibilities. A dissenting population is an arrestable one. This commentary is brought to you by IJST News. That's I'm Just Saying the News, and I'm Donaldson. Back to you, Dave. Okay, well, I'm glad you kept it brief. Um, yeah, uh, next time, whenever anybody's in text, if they want to just check things uh, better, and, and just to remind other people in the room, we did have a little pre-show meeting. Uh, that would have been better run past me before then, but... Um, since it was brief, we'll, we'll move on. Right, let's get on to um, the actual show uh, before we get to our main topic. We've got two things to do. First of all, tell people how they can join the collective. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoot. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling time before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoot Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. Okay, we've um, had since our last show a second trailer for Series 9 of Doctor Who. Now, the trailer doesn't have a lot of audio on it, so we have 
put into the text chat for those people that are here live with us uh, a link to the video which runs for one minute. So I am actually going to play the audio of that as a reminder. If those people have actually grabbed that link and not yet um, watched it, they may want to just mute themselves and uh, watch it while I play the trailer. Just a one minute clip of um, a sort of teaser trailer for Doctor Who. Sorry, I'm late. He hasn't got a plan yet. He will have. And it will be spectacular. I'm the doctor. And I save people. Here. Now. This is where your story ends. What is happening? Same old, same old. Just the Doctor and Clara Oswald in the TARDIS. Okay, now, uh, Darth, you uh, mentioned whether we were going to cover this. Do you want to uh, address any thoughts you have about it? Oh, the, the trailer, yeah, sure. The trailer. Uh, it, uh, I thought it was an improvement upon the last trailer in that it seemed to tell more of a story and, and draw you in a bit better than the last one. Uh, the imagery is not terribly different. There's a little bit of stuff in there that's new. Uh, but not really. It's sort of just a repackaging of the first trailer, but I think done in a more attractive way than the first trailer. Right. Uh, I mean, you, it's, it's one of these things that if you, you virtually had to uh, stop it uh, section by section. Now, Willis Girl, um, you didn't cover us on news. Uh, you are on audio. Uh, I'm sure you're one of the people that has watched the trailer. Have you any thoughts that you want to share on it? Okay, well, if you put something in text, whether you want to, to come back in on that. Uh, Rick Wall. Uh, I kind of sort of agree with um, um, Darth. It seems like they added a lot more explosions than anything, uh, you know, uh, um, um, scenes of stuff exploding. But they did include a few other uh, newer um, um, visuals. That doesn't sound as they impressed you that very much. No, I liked it. I liked it. Um, <laughs> uh, I liked the first one, but uh, I'm weird anyway. <laughs> All right, right, right. Now, I want to ask Mike, because Mike's already forsworn against uh, watching the next series. And uh, so um, uh, let me just say that... Um, uh, I, I'm wondering whether I should have watched it or not. I mean, uh, there are some things that um, made me think. Um, well, first of all, we have the. Um, uh, well, you hear that you hear a voice there, so uh, you hear Mrs. Voice on it. We also had some speculation from the end of the first teaser about uh, an actress from the Game of Thrones, who um, what her her part may be in the new series. 
and um, there was some speculation as to whether she may be related to the Doctor in some way. But the actual clip that showed her here, she was wearing sort of um, natural uh, clothes made from sort of wool, uh, and Clara was in a similar sort of dress and garb in some sort of tented or uh, middle-aged village, um, maybe on this planet, maybe on another planet, uh, which seemed to not lead towards uh, what the speculation was about who this character was going to be. Um, we have some rather well-designed robot-type um, tin men, which I thought were rather good. Um, there was a, um, a dragon of sorts, and um, all in all, it was all right. I think the only thing that disturbed me somewhat, and I don't know whether anybody wants to comment on this before we move on, is um, the idea of the Doctor being some sort of a rock legend. Um, I don't know whether that was just put in for a little bit of mischief and is actually going to be a sort of throwaway scene or a throwaway line on one of the upcoming stories. And Merlin's putting in text, yeah, Missy and Maisie speculation. Uh, that Maisie was the, uh, the the other character that uh, was probably being talked about. Hey, does anybody else want to make any comment on that? Um, uh, see, I come back and say that was my favorite part of the entire thing, was the expanded look at the Doctor as a rock star. I love that. I think that's great. <laughs> and, and Especially, and, and, and the uh, thing that's intriguing is, if you look at it, he is a rock star amidst unit people. Unit oh, I not pick someone. Right. Yeah. So you yeah, think all this a... sea of red berets <laughs> and him playing the, the guitar, which was and and apparently on top of a, a you know an aircraft um, uh, series of steps. So maybe he is once again president of the world or whatever. Entertaining the troops before they go into battle, maybe. Maybe. I mean, to me, it's probably. It's probably an homage to the five doctors. He's probably playing the guitar, and the guitar unlocks something or does something or whatever, has some other power besides just being an instrument. But I think it's entirely consistent with the character of the doctor. Um, you know, almost every incarnation of the doctor has had some kind of musical ability, you know, going all the way back to, you know, the feigned musical abilities of the first doctor and the Romans, uh, the liar, liar. Um, but. It, uh, so to me, I think it's just consistent. One and indeed, one of the things that was great about series seven and especially seven A was this sort of renewed emphasis on education and dropping in you know great names from musical history. Um, and certainly in you know that that series of little shorts before seven A, um, you see the Doctor in rap sessions. Um, so I, I, you know, and certainly John Pertwee, you know, was constantly singing, obviously the second doctor with a recorder. The doctor's always been in some way or another connected to music. Um, and I think it's perfectly appropriate. Okay. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's draw a line to that. Let's, um, move on to our topic. I don't know how long we'll spend on, on this. We have uh, been going 43 Good on, 43 minutes already. About three minutes have been my uh, flailing about at one point, but nonetheless, what we're going to do is um, we're going to talk about this little um, Esquire list. Now, this is fairly recently. It's about maybe 12, 13 months old. Uh, 
the 50 greatest sci-fi TV shows ever. Now, it might seem arbitrary to do this, but um, it was one that Ken threw up suggested as um, a rather intriguing list that um, that some people may find that um, uh, there are strange omissions. Now, we have done these sort of lists in the past, but the reason why we're actually covering it as well today is, as I said uh, very early on, we were going to be doing the next three months virtually uh, consistently and steadily on Doctor Who. So this is a chance for us to sort of uh, pack as many different science fiction elements into a one-show program uh, prior to doing that. So uh, well, we've, we've done list shows before, too. Exactly, indeed. Um, uh, I've... Um, Given the link in the room that starts us off at uh, number 15, it's one of these uh, pages that um, may be annoying to some people, uh, but in some ways is easy to navigate with the, the left and right arrows. Uh, unfortunately, they don't seem to leave very much room underneath for all the text to be visible to read out. But um, we're going to start at number 50 and work our way through. I've got a number of little uh, clips, uh, mainly because of the the number of episodes, sorry, the number of series, plus the number of series I found as uh, regrettable omissions. Uh, I'm not going to play nearly 70 clips, you'll be pleased to know. So I will just um, arbitrarily throw some clips in uh, just to sort of break up uh, and to give people a chance to catch their breath. Um, because we're going to go at some fairly rapid pace, what I'm going to do is um, go through each one read the verbiage below it, and then invite people to uh, jump in. Um, and if I get more than 10 seconds of silence, uh, then I will quickly move uh, 49, uh, 48 forwards until we reveal what may be at number one. So at number 50 on the uh, this list is Thunderbirds. And let's get off with a little bit of music. Five... Four, three, two, one. Thunderbirds are go. I'm going to stop it there, and you might think, why am I playing the old one rather than the new one? Because that's the one that's highlighted in this show, and I don't think the new uh, version of Thunderbirds had come uh, onto our screens. But maybe if anybody wants to reference that, please do so. So Thunderbirds, filmed in Vidicolor and Super Marionation, uh, it says so right at the opening. This British mid-60s classic uh, answers the question, what would a retired astronaut with his own private island access to unlimited technology, five upstanding sons do if given the chance. He would help people in need, of course, and do it with the slickest supersonic jets, amphibious vehicles, and rockets imaginable. These nine-inch puppets, eye-popping colour, and groovy vehicles are all quite cinematic. Thunderbirds lasted two seasons, but inspired numerous sequels, reboots, from film versions, tie-in fictions, and indirectly, at least, um, Team America World Police. And um, I believe it was none other than... Uh, one of the actors from uh, Star Trek The Next Generation that uh, directed the big movie version. And now, of course, we have um, a, a more recent um, CGI version to hit uh, UK airways. 
Do we have any fans of this? Or anybody want to make a comment? I would think it should be higher if it's going to be in here at all, but uh, that's my only comment, really. No, I think it's, with everything that's on there, I think it's in the right place, personally. I loved it as a kid. I still watch it now, but um, it's somewhat dated. Um, don't get me wrong, I still love it. I think Anderson was a genius. Uh, but um, uh, where it's, it's placed in, in this particular list, I think is correct. Okay. Anybody else want to come in on that? As I say, we're going to motor through these fairly spectacularly fast. Uh, although that doesn't mean that if we, we get to one which has um, a lot of conversation, we won't dwell on it for longer. Okay, at uh, number... You know, Dave, I, I don't know about the, the particular placement of this thing on the list, but I do think it is fair to say it is in the top 25 of science fiction shows, just because of the... the you know, I, I guess it's probably fair to say it's the most popular of the the Supermarionation shows, right, of the Jerry Anderson stable. I, I think that's fair. It's also um, the most dared. Well, yeah, so therefore the most popular. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it should be... I can't remember now, if this if this list has anything higher, the thing that's higher is probably wrong for that reason. But it, it's certainly fair to say that it was influential and, you know, is a unique style of telling... Um, science fiction stories, so deserves to be on the list. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose whether you could call Filescape a similar sort of thing where you've got puppets mixed in with it, but I mean, I think this is the, um, probably the only um, one like it. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Thank you for that. Um, number 49, Land of the Lost. A lot of great uh, theme songs live on this list, but we may have hit the, hit the best one right here. As a banjo and synthesizer-based um, synopsis reminded us, Land of the Lost tells of a routine expedition fraught with peril as poorly superimposed yellow rafts falls down into a waterfall into a parallel universe. I must admit, I haven't got um, a, a lot, but it was a three-season run, uh, including stories by Theodore Sturgeon, Ringworld author Larry Niven and grand tour novelist and longtime Omi and analog science fiction and fact editor Ben Bova. So the credentials are certainly there. Yeah, I love this thing. <laughs> it's great. It it does have you know some contract problems. It was I think it's right to say I could be wrong, but I think it's right to say it was during this the first or second season that it was aired, it was like the number one children's thing on TV. And so therefore the father or the guy who's playing the father in the story tried to negotiate a better deal for himself and they just said no. And so he walked and the third season is therefore a little lame because it doesn't have him in it as sort of the, you know, reasonable counsel for his children to come to. Um, 
and and therefore it's also a little bit less realistic. I mean, the whole thing is kind of dumb, <laughs> you know, the, the notion that they would be going on this. You know, the song says routine expedition. They're on like whitewater raft, and then they fall down a waterfall, and then when they come to on the other side of the waterfall, they're back in prehistoric times, or what appears to be prehistoric times, but maybe some mixture of prehistoric times and alien invasion Earth. Um, and so, you know, it's the, the thing is silly from that standpoint, but nevertheless, it it, it was supposed to teach you. Well, I don't know if it's supposed to teach you, but it nevertheless had a lot of things to do with survival skills. And if the father's gone, then how do the kids really have those survival skills? I guess you could argue they've been there for a while, so they picked up stuff. But it, it still it didn't feel right without the father on it um, in the third season. But you know, it, it still is great. The, the slee stacks were, to me, whenever I try to imagine what it was like to be a kid in the 60s in Britain and to be really gripped by the Daleks. Because like most Americans, I don't think I'm really gripped by the Daleks. Um, or indeed, like most modern British children, I don't think are, you know, it, so affected by the Daleks like they they were back in the 60s when they are brand new. But when I'm trying to think about what that was like, to me it's the slee stacks. You know, just this sense memory that they were super scary and they were going around and they're kind of like, you know, Doctor Who terms, I guess they're kind of like the Silurians in that they're lizard-like and they sort of speak with these, you know, hissing sounds and they have more advanced technology than the humans that are around them. But man, they were scary as a kid. I know that they were scary. Uh, and, and they're, you know, you never knew what was going to happen when they went to their strange, bejeweled, control panel to try to, you know, do something. You never knew what, the, was, what moving those jewels around was going to do. It was really, they were they were frightening. They look a lot like the Gorn, really, from Star Trek. <laughs> um, right. But, like, if you can imagine the love child of a Gorn and a Silurian, that's where you are. Um, so... I, it's just it's just such a great show, and you know, like it says about the theme song, I think they're right. I think it's maybe the best one this year, just because it's so seventies, right? It's so like post summer of love. You're taking a banjo and you're mixing it with an electronic thing. It's not Jefferson Airplane. It's Jefferson Starship. You know, it's in that sort of range, um, and it so speaks of the time. And the thing that made me really disappointed is, is, you know, I don't think we've ever been able to capture it since. They, Will Ferrell did a movie of it not too long ago, horrible in a lot of ways. Um, and I think it, I think it's hard to capture what it was to the people who watched it originally. Um, but nevertheless, if you if you did watch it originally, or you or you were a kid when you first saw the VHS of it or whatever, uh, it just just something that is utterly magical. It's dinosaurs and spaceships and strange obelisks out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, some dinosaurs are good. Some dinosaurs are bad. There's a monkey in it. You know, it's just crazy stuff put together. And I, I think it's, I think it's cool. Okay. Uh, before we go on, just, I should have mentioned that um, uh, Merlin had put in about um Anderson, uh, long-term, will be remembered for Thunderbirds and Space 1999. And I think we've got Space yeah. 1999 coming up uh, in a little while anyway. So let's uh, move on. 
In fact, huh, there you are. Uh, pre, pre, preeminent, or whatever the word is. Um, number 48, Space 1999. Moonbase Alpha, come back. Uh, now we know what will happen if we put all our nuclear waste on the far side of the moon. It will ignite and somehow, through a higher power, and catapult our moon through a tour of space. From the British producers of Thunderbirds, Space 99, starred Mighty Lando and Barbara Bain. That was his wife, I believe, Barbara Bain. Uh, leading a group of eggheads trying to figure out how to get home. Uh, also, the doctor on board was the one from The Fugitive. I seem to remember the same actor who was in The Fugitive. So, um... That was um, Space 1999. Now, I remember watching that when it first aired, and although I liked it, and I liked some of the uh, characters in it, especially the, the shape-shifting lady who changed into a hawk and all sorts of things, it, it did upset me at the time, because I was thinking then of... Uh, you know, I was living in the future. I was an old man, and suddenly, you know, this was the future. It was going to be flying cars and cleverness and, and, and space where spaceships were still shiny and bright and white and people wore silver outfits or whatever. And um, to me, it was enough of an adventure that they were on the moon and had to fend for themselves. But no, not only were the, the moon blasted away and they had to fend for themselves in that, they went through some sort of wormhole or portal so that they couldn't be spending the first three years getting out the solar system. They were immediately into, you know, strange, strange other areas of the universe, um, catapulted into adventures, as you might say. Um, and then, although I did enjoy it, uh, I think they were a little bit careless with their eagles. They had these, uh, these spaceships for uh, working on the moon and, and moving around equipment, I think they had something like 13. Well, they were blowing one up every week. Um, so that that did sort of make me despair a little bit for it. But um, nonetheless, I, I did enjoy it as a series. Probably preferred UFO, um, which was on about the same time, I think, probably a little bit earlier. But uh, Rick Wall, any thoughts on this one? I liked it. Um, uh, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I liked the uh second season a little better than the first. The first was too, had gotten uh, in some episodes too esoteric. I mean, like uh, the uh, the Space Brain episode, you know, where they ran into that um, 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 shaving cream looking substance and it was a living being brain, whatever. Uh, too esoteric for me at, at, at uh, 11 or 12, whenever, however old I was when I was first watching it. Uh, but uh, I liked it. Um... Yeah, uh, Milner's put, by the way, it was Catherine Schnell that played that uh, shape-shifting person. And the one that played um, uh, from uh, The Fugitive was Barry Morse. Um, so it, they, they had uh, quite a good... I mean, Martin Landau really was... Um, it was almost too big for TV, wasn't it? I mean, it was a big... Uh, unless it was just the fact that it was getting uh, people over into the UK to, to lead. But it, it it was a pretty a pretty spectacular casting group that they had. And I think the budget uh, was fairly large as well. And, of course, moving through to having real actors. Um, 
but the actual um, all the 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 stage shots, not stage shots, all the the spaceship and all that, all was done extremely well indeed. Um, Mike's been rather quiet. Mike, if you want to jump in, please say so. Um, Darth, any thoughts on this one? Mm, no, not really. No. I mean, it's yeah, horrible. Well, I, th- I think it's horrible. Season one, season two, either one. Um, I, mean, I don't see it as one of the twenty-five best, but yeah, we say maybe two the one hundred best. Yeah. yeah, we say two seasons, and of course, people think, well, that can't be. But that's forty-eight episodes, nonetheless. I mean, they made quite a few episodes per series in those days. So I mean, well, know. yeah. So, it, it, am I right in thinking it's actually a U.S. show? Even though it's by Anderson? Well, well no, no country without origin in the UK. Is it UK? Yeah. And they did 24 UK, episodes in the UK? U- wow. UK uh, and Italy. Shared with Italy as well. How weird. And there were 48 to 50 minute episodes. Group 3 productions. Uh, well, I mean, you, you say that, that that's extraordinary, Dave. It's not. I mean, to me, that's just that's what Star Trek is. I mean, that is that's a normal run of episodes on broadcast TV. But if it's UK, that is kind of extraordinary. Right. Well, what I mean is that if people listening, they might think, well, you know, nowadays they seem to be going down to thirteen episodes. So, but they still had forty-eight in the can, as it were. So that's. Fairly good. Anyway, I, I'm not going to press you too much on that because I've got a feeling you might want to say something about this rarely seen program at number 47. And it's called The Six Million Dollar Man. And you'll be upset, mm. by the way, that uh, the bionic woman isn't on this list anywhere. But um, sometimes little strands of pop culture become so woven into the daily life that we forget where they came from. The phrase, we have the technology, originated, of course, from the opening credits of the six million dollar man 90 seconds of perfection which taken on its own may rank as one of the best short films of the entire 1970s and of course it was lee mesh majors uh, playing steve austin um and then we had oscar as his uh, operative for his boss uh, lee majors who did uh, lots of other things um he did one where he was um well he's done quite a lot of series but uh, this is the one that maybe in the uk He's known for the most. I'm trying to remember the other one he did where he was a stuntman. That would be the Fall Guy. Fall and guy. He's probably Fall he's probably actually known better in America. Fall Guy is the third and least of his things. The the big thing for him is probably Big Valley. I mean, ah yes, I think, I, I, I think more people, yeah, just because yeah. that's got more star power. I mean, it's got Barbara Stanwyck, who at that point was just a goddess of the film. You know. Uh, and I think that was a longer run than Fall Guy. I'm sure it got better ratings, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, <laughs> uh, I it it is to me a tragedy that Bionic Woman is not here because without the introduction of Lindsay Wagner and the Bionic Woman, uh, probably Six Million Dollar Man would have floundered and then died after you know maybe season three or something like that but she and the mythos of the bionic culture that she was bringing up you know sort of helped her rejuvenate that series and in a way that is completely similar to how arrow and the flash are working these days um you know they had all those crossovers together and so one show cross-pollinated the other quite literally as it later turned out um but the um 
thing is, you know, Lindsay Wagner won an Emmy for playing the Bionic Woman on the Bionic Woman, not for guest starring on the Six Million Dollar Man, but for helming her own show. She's a far better actor than Lee Majors, and um, I, the shows in that on the stories, the plot lines, I think on Bionic Woman were more interesting because she wasn't a full time. OSI agent. She was having to split her time between being, you know, just sort of an ordinary teacher at a local U.S. Army or U.S. Air Force uh, um, base school and sort of being this woman who had this whole chunk of her memory displaced. So she she knew that she should be living with Steve Austin's parents because they had taken her in after her her parents died, but she didn't fully know why she was there. She didn't fully, you know, there's always this thing of when she and Steve Austin got together, why are they together? Um, you know, she couldn't quite remember all the details of their life together. And then when she was told that they were meant to be married, it was still something she couldn't quite process or believe. So it was always this really interesting romantic, non-romantic um, frisson between them that really didn't get resolved into the very final bionic movie, which was, you know, after Sandra Bullock had made her appearance as the bionic girl and was way late. I mean, nineties, I think. And then it made total sense that it took that long for them to get together. And it felt like a satisfying place to leave that old storyline. Um, they are episodes when you look back on them now that do seem dated in some ways, but in other ways, you know, there's some real classics in the Bionic Woman, more so I think than in the Six Million Dollar Man. Um, but I I suppose I take the point of the poll in that the thing that is most science fiction between the two is probably it, it is the Six Million Dollar Man, especially if you encounter in that or you you know aggregate into that the three count them three pilots that this thing had um i think it i think it has the record of the most number of pilots for any show ever um and you know the first pilot that doesn't have oscar goldman in it that doesn't have any hint of the osi that is really just sort of all pro nasa really because uh, he's an astronaut uh, is really science fiction. And it's the one that's sort of the closest adaptation of the book, Cyborg, from which it comes. And, you know, even the second the second film is where you start to get uh, Oscar Goldman, but it doesn't have the whole apparatus of everybody else involved. It's really a Bond film. It's absolutely a Bond film, uh, with Oscar Goldman being M and he being Bond. And, you know, there are even just these you know, bond layer kind of things like in, mm, well, I'm going to say you only live twice, uh, but I guess I could say Dr. No too. If like the, you know, volcanic base that opens up uh, to send out nuclear missiles everywhere, really kind of fascinating uh, stuff in that second iteration. And then by the time you get to the third film, which is, I guess you would say the proper pilot for the six million dollar man as we came to knew it, then you start to feel, you know, like the rest of the series. Um but there you know, there are stories within Six Million Dollar Man which are kind of more science fiction than others, but uh, you know, in the in the first season he's really more secret agent than anything else. Um but 
whatever. I, I does it deserve to be on in the top twenty five? Yes, absolutely. It's an influential thing in American science fiction television. Um, but you know, in my heart, I will always think that the Bionic Woman is better, and you can prove it by the number of Emmys won, by the number of nominations that were had. Um, I don't know. I just think it's a lot better. I think, and I think people today kind of think, oh, well, it's a spinoff, so therefore it's inferior. But I, to me, it's one of those cases where the spinoff outdoes the original. Um, uh, without, I... without, without in any way like denigrating the original, you know, because I think a lot of times today spinoffs try to distance themselves and and you know stand on their own two legs from the original. But, you know, it was always sort of, maybe less so in the third season when they moved to CBS. But for the most part, you know, because you had the continuity of the characters of Oscar Goldman and, and Rudy Wells, um, you know, it, it, it couldn't distance itself, really. Um, but, I, the, you know, the, the interesting thing about, that I remember from both those series is, to me, the hero of all of them was not the Bionic people, but Oscar Goldman. I loved Oscar Goldman so much because he was, to me, the example of what a true American civil servant can be. You know, he was good. He was forthright. He would, he would you know, defend you as an employee to the secretary that he was working for. Um, but at the end of the day, he was going to, you know, when necessary, he was going to make sure that you did your job for the country and lean on you hard to do it. And I just I just think he was a great example of sort of the civil servant manager, which there's not been too many science fiction shows where you see uh you know the efficient government manager in. But it is also great cuz if you go out in the field kind of like how Judy Dench is in has gone out into the field, you know. Um so you get you got the Sense that the real sense that he was right there with you the whole time, and I just loved Oscar Goldman so much that you know, as a kid, I had an Oscar Goldman action figure because I just thought he was so cool. But, um, let me just ask a question about that. Then, um, by the mm. way, the writer is Martin Caden of the Cyborg. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Merlin. Um, if I don't know if you ever watched this new one, Agents of Shield, and I'm trying to find the the, the guy who who runs Shield. Is he like an Oscar Goldman character? Um, I, I don't. I don't watch Agents of Shield because you know I tend to purchase uh, my TV Coulson, thing. The character Phil Coulson. Coulson yeah, I, I mean he's kind. From what I can judge in the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, yeah, he's sort of is like um, Oscar Goldman kind of, but still not because Shield is this weird organization, right? That is not run out of what is very plainly in, I mean, you can see it in Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman. Mm. Oscar Goldman works, works out of the Dirksen um, congressional office. It's probably, you know, wrong in a sense, but nevertheless, Goldman is absolutely working for, I forget which secretary, is it secretary of state? I forget exactly. It's probably treasury. I don't know exactly, but nevertheless, he is working for a secretary who sits in the cabinet of the United States of America, you know, um, and so he's a regularized part of the government in a way that I, Shield is kind of smoky and in the back, and you know they get destroyed uh, sometimes. You know, at least uh, that's my impression and, from Captain America and, Two. Is and um, 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 
Coulson is more of an agent running the team than a um, um, bureaucrat, which... Um, uh, right. Yeah, I meant what he's yeah, doing. Yeah, the more... The more apt metaphor might be Nick Cage, really, sort of, because um, Nick Cage is up, you know, higher in the. He sort of is acting as, I mean, in certainly in Captain America Two, you get the sense that he is actively uh, right. defending the people that he works for, you know, or that work for him rather, and so that he he'd be a great boss to have. But I mean, Oscar, the thing about Oscar is he's just a normal dude, right? He's and there are times where there there are scenes where. He's just sitting there with a calculator trying to make the budget work out. And and then, you know, well, I mean, just the, the whole the whole thing with look at when Steve comes to him and says, look, my fiance has just been downed in a parachute accident. I know that we can put her back together. Can you wrestle up seven million dollars for me? Oscar, because of everything that I've done for you. And Oscar says, you've got to be out of your freaking mind. And then says, yeah, I guess I can do it. Somehow I'll do it. And when the secretary comes to me, I'll say it was necessary. And then in the, the, the first episode of Bionic Woman Proper, right, Steve, uh, Oscar goes to Lindsay Wagner and says, how you doing, kiddo? I mean, you rejected your bionics. You almost, you died. We brought you back from life. How are you doing out here? And uh, she says, well, I'm trying. And, uh, you know, I, I should probably do something for you because you gave me $7 million for my life back. And he says, no, absolutely not. I'm not letting you do that, which is crazy for a government agent to say. And then she has to convince him that, look, I'm at least going to do things for you part-time because you got me a job at the Air Force Base. I mean, he's just a, he's an incredible uh, – I, I think he's an example of a fine civil servant and therefore is, I don't know, to me – worthy of emulation. But, you know, I'm a fan of the U.S. government, so what are you going to do? Right. Uh, yeah, Melody's put a, a link in in the room. I've just been looking at it. Uh, uh, Phil Coulson um, stops at the gas station on his way to New Mexico. While he stops for snacks, two robbers uh, demand money from the register. When the robbers ask uh, whose car's outside, he reveals himself, surrenders his keys, officer surrenders his pistol as well. As he is about to turn over the gun, Coulson distracts the robbers and subdues both men in seconds. Then he nonchalantly pays for his snacks while subtly uh, uh, advising the clerk not to mention his involvement to the police. In other words, he's a man of action as well. Um, maybe Oscar Goldman was more of, like Rick Wall was saying, a bureaucrat. Let's just play a little clip. I want to play a little bit of it before we need to move on, I think. Quite a lot to get through, but uh, yeah, uh, good. Um, 
by the way, there were six million dollar man, ninety nine episodes and six T V movies. I'm assuming three of those were those pilots and uh with Bionic Woman fifty eight uh, episodes made. Let's move on quickly. Um uh, Oh Dark Angel at uh, forty six. Um James Cameron, uh only for a television production, is actually uh, a lot like six million dollar man. Uh, except this scientifically enhanced badass spends the time running away from the people who gave her the edge. For 43 episodes, Jessica Alba's character Max left off building has invaded questionable agents of Manticore while trusting no one. Uh, so I, I enjoyed that. The series 2 was a letdown because they actually took themselves into a direction that really had only one inevitable conclusion. And that's what in the second series, in case you didn't know, um, she goes back and... Uh, lets out all the other uh, people at Manticore. Um, and once they're on the loose, basically, um, you'd think, well, she could hide amongst them, but it then it, it then turns it into basically a roundup, uh, which means that the, the end of the second series, they've basically got nowhere to go except have a, an almighty standoff. And they, they, end, they choose to end it at that standoff, which... Um, was a bit dissatisfying to me. However, it may well be that was done because I think uh, bigger things were beckoning the actress, uh, Jessica Alba. Uh, um, no. Well, there was, I, a, uh, there was a writer's strike at the end of the, uh, ah, the second uh, season. Yeah. Yeah, right. that's like a... Two th- isn't that the 2007 thing that killed Bionic Woman Return or right. something? Well, the original release finished in 2002 because I remember um, she she seemed to go out of existence for about a year and then suddenly she she was on chat shows and she had about four films coming out at once. Uh, Eyes, um, um, there's one where she was a pianist or something. Uh, she, uh, then she was in a dance one. She was in the, um, the, the Undersea one, the remake of... Um, Oh, what's the remake one? The one where she... uh, again, like I said, though, um, the 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 major reason why was the uh, writer's strike and um, uh, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Um, Idle Hands, Paranoia, Sleeping Dictionary, Honey, Sin City, Fantastic Four. Uh, they they were coming out. Think that in, and then in 2007, knocked up Fantastic Four, the Ten, Good Luck, Chuck, Awake, uh, three in. I mean, within you know about six years, she came out with about 20 films. Um, and actually, she seems to have been better uh, in Sin City. Of course, um, she was in some. Into the Blue was the one I was thinking. That was the remake of. Um, oh, what was the famous film that that was a remake of? I'll try and think about it. Sin City? No, Into the Blue was a remake of uh, the one where they uh, they go finding gold in the water. Uh, uh, I'll think about it in a minute. I'll try and find what it was a remake of. Anyway, um, are there any other Jessica Albert or Dark Angel fans in the room? It's a remake of something called Fathom or something, or The Reef, or 
something like that. I wish to tell me on the uh, I've got the uh, the uh, the the page of uh, Jessica Alba, but I'm not seeing the information um, of what it was a remake of, which is annoying. Okay, uh, nobody. We can move on because we've got plenty to do. Oh, I'll play a little bit of Shark Angel. Coming this Suppose I could help you locate the other ones like you. A new series from James Cameron, writer-director of Terminator and Titanic. Ghost kick ass. An exciting vision of the near future. They don't exactly have a search engine for kids with barcodes on their necks. The story of an extraordinary young woman searching for answers to the mystery of her past. I know who you are, and I know who you're running from. And I'll stop there. I've remembered it was The Deep. It was a remake of The Deep. Oh, I don't think so. What? In, no, I don't think so. Can't be. Uh, really? Well, I will check that as we move on. Uh, uh, let's go on. I, I will just jump here and say, I don't think that, Dory, I know that you love Jessica Alba, and I think you really like this series. I don't think it deserves to be on this list at all. It did nothing impressive. And while the writer's strike did hurt it, it was already going down before the writer's strike hit. So the question is to me, you know, would the writers have been able to you know, pulled up on the yoke and made this thing not crash into a mountain. And I don't actually think so. Um, to, it's, to, it, this is like one of those things like Dollhouse, you know, where right. you've got a, you got a respected uh, guy at the helm that has done some other good stuff. And I think that because of that, you know, the, the writers of these polls are just sort of saying, well, it had to be okay if it was Cameron. No, it didn't. I mean, Cameron's not infallible and he wasn't really on everything about the series um so i i i've always found it to be really an an unfulfilling show so i don't know i wouldn't put it on this list right it may well be that it was made in the style of the deep rather than uh thinking that was the uh jacqueline Bisset, uh robert shaw nick nolte yeah. film from yeah, 1977 yeah, yeah. um yeah. merlin's also added about the the right strike changes the landscape uh it's a good book mark for tv dramas to where we are big gaps are truncated series are a, a, a good indication yeah uh and about just Calma, young pretty and not actually an actress unfortunately i think she's been better in the in her comedy roles good luck chuck uh, i think she is better with comedy uh looking good at the same time but better with comedy anyway let's uh let's move on to this <laughs> shadowy flight into the dangerous world of a man who does not exist. Michael Knight, a young loner on a crusade to champion the cause of the innocent, the helpless, the powerless, in a world of criminals who operate above the law. to go on a bit some of these don't we uh, this is of course the David Hasselhoff um, uh, version um, actual fact uh, from 1982 
Uh, I better put the uh, the right link in. I think I put the link into the uh, later one from 2008. So let me put the correct link in. Uh, this is the um, the the early one um, from the original. Yeah, the original and best from 1982. Uh, 90 episodes, would you believe, over four seasons? Um, not just a talking car, but a sassy talking car. Before anyone would ever dream of uh, hassling the Hoff, where you got him as a slick speed demon behind the world of a Pontiac Trans Am. I believe they had about four of them, didn't they? Um, uh, then Kit uh, was, of course, an acronym for the uh, the car. And uh, uh, Ian's a big fan. My son Matthew's a big fan. Kit, by the way, stood for Night Industries 2000. And I think they used the word 2000, Night Rider 2000, uh, with the second series. Uh, Rick Wall, are you a fan of this particular show? I liked it, but uh, I think it's more an action-adventure um, 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 slash um, um, uh, cop show than sci-fi. Right, it's just slightly futuristic, isn't it, with the technology? It's just pushed a little bit into the future. Yeah, there were some sci-fi-ish episodes, but um, like I said, as a whole, uh, I think the series was more action, you know, more tilted towards action-adventure cop-type um, um, things, especially in the later um, uh, seasons. Right. And the, the chap who did the voice of the car, he, um, I don't remember his name now, uh, really gave it, um, you know, uh, a character, didn't he? Was it Edward Mulhair? Yep. I was just going to say it was uh, the ghost from the ghost in Mrs. Muir. <laughs> Right, right. So, um, yeah. Anybody else? Uh, again, uh, we only have those people listening to the recording later. Uh, we only have three or four of us on audio, one of whom is here for the first time and uh, also in transit and enjoying listening, I hope. Uh, Mike's uh, and uh, has dropped off audio. But, um, again, you'll have to jump in, guys. Otherwise, oh. Um, well, I thought uh, it was kind of, sorry. Yeah, Interesting to, to to find out uh, to see that the kit car was, you know, kind of a pre like fiction, you know, for for this Batman. You know, the Batman car had its own mind in a way too. You know, they were remotely controlling it. So, but it's, there are some differences there. But it's it's just like you know, one thing coming after the other. You know, one idea playing off of of another. Very exciting. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, and I think probably the thing that Rick said may have been its strength. It, it wasn't entirely, as you quite right, say uh, science fiction, but that may have given it broad appeal. I mean, it, it had the handsome leading man, it had the uh, the technology, the cars, the car chases, it had the sort of science fiction robot element to it. Um, so I think that were the right. Well, and I should just read out what uh, Willis Gill has put about Dark Angel, the previous one. I agree, Dark Angel does not deserve to be on the list. <laughs> Dave breaks into tears. Okay, let's um, move on then. 44, Jericho. Number of shows on this list end their stories with, despite letter writing campaign, they were cancelled. Jericho is one of the few that, after the plug got pulled, came back to life because of the fans. It showed a following of the paranoia post-2001 America, presenting a homeland whose major cities were destroyed. In fact, you see a nuclear explosion uh, through the rear mirror of a car, uh, don't you, R right in the very first episode. 
I think indeed I only watched about three episodes of it, um, and I'm afraid I lost a little bit of interest after that. But um, again, um, was an interesting premise. Uh, but I think the premise has been sort of recaptured with the Under the Dome one later in some ways in terms of it being people fending for themselves and, and cut off somewhat. But um, uh, I didn't really catch a lot of it. Um, again, do we have any comments to make? Because, as I say, with, with 50 in our list, we are going to uh, only uh, sort of drop down on the ones that we want to uh, talk about at any length. Okay, let's move us on. Uh, number 43, Space Above and Beyond. Those people who think TV is no place for hard science fiction need to remember that the mid-90s Space and Above, sorry, Space Above and Beyond, which focuses on the band of fighters known as the Wildcards. In the show, Earth must defend its colonies against the marauding Chings, aliens who have limited access to faster-than-light propulsion, while Earthers make do with maps and timetables known of known wormholes. Um, again, I can't really comment on this one. I don't think I, I caught it in any sense. Again, I'm going to pause and then I'm going to move on. Post-nuclear world has been done before and better. Thank you. That's from Merlin. Okay, uh, number 42, Dollhouse. It was only a few short years ago that Josh Weldon's name on a project didn't mean quality, it meant underdog. Dollhouse gives us two reasons, two seasons, sorry, of Eliza Dushku, uh, Echo, on a slow journey to self-awareness as attractive. She's hired as a blank slate, an individual ready to do nefarious deeds for the wealthy person. Uh, and of course, the Echo part of it, in her particular case, is that she um, she seems to remember some of her past profiles and therein lies um, some of the things that happen on the course um, and she was joined later on I think by um, the actress who played Fred in Angel um, let me just play a little bit of uh, Dollhouse uh, just a little clip from it this isn't the night Hello, Echo. How are you feeling? Did I fall asleep? For a little while. Shall I go now? Yep. Uh, so, um, Elijah, she was in um, quite a few things. Um, she had the chance to, uh, when Buffy the Vampire Slayer ended... She had the possibility of um, of, of doing um, one bait on her character in that, uh, but then she went to a, a series called True Calling, uh, which unfortunately flopped quite like that. Uh, before they then she went on to uh, Dollhouse, um, and she's had a couple of moves as well. But um, Berlin uh, only watched a few of those more super women from just yes he did like strong female characters indeed um, Amy Acker I think was the person who joined 
from Angel uh, towards the latest stages of that. I think she played one of the scientists that was working on her. So, um, anybody in the room? I'm not going to keep asking because uh, we need to move on. I, I think I have sort of a moral obligation to bring up that two absent members of the Cult of Collective, Robert K. King and, oh gosh, I got his name. Oh. Who is it that I always spar with about this thing? Damn it. I forgot his Ken? name. No. Um, guy from Atlanta or Georgia. He's from Georgia. What is his name? He hasn't been on for a long time. At any rate, there are two members of the Cultum Collective who really passionately feel that this is a stra- a great show, and Robert K. King even had a um, podcast about it. Um, I disagree strongly. I think it's crap. I think it never figured out what its direction was. I think that there was a lot of interference from the network, uh, but nevertheless, you know, that's just a part of TV. And there are people who can you know, work well under those pressures and there are people that can't. And not only that, you know, I'm sure that there was there was great interference uh, with Firefly, and yet every episode of Firefly, I think, is a gem. Um, whereas this is just a confusing mess to me. There, there are moments where it's interesting. There's some good acting. Alan Tudyk uh, from Firefly comes back in the second season and has an interesting character to play. There's a lot of promise here, but it just goes nowhere. And I think it, it it's one of those shows like the redo of The Bionic Woman, which, although it was only eight episodes long, took seemingly forever to get anywhere. And and that's what this show is like to me, just a, a show that meanders. And you can't do meander anymore on American television. You have to get right to the point of things. Was it Logan so, that you used to, that, that supported this one? No, no. No, right, but, I, don't know. I don't know why I can't remember the name of the guy. I'm, I'm very sorry. As soon as I stop talking about it, I'll figure out who it was. But it's the, well, you know, it's the guy from Atlanta who, who sometimes comes on to the quiz show. Or, But I haven't seen him forever. Um, it's very frustrating. Well, they can put it in text if you, if you think about it. Squidward? Um, uh-uh. No. No. I, I should say, when I say Atlanta, I guess I mean... Georgia. I think he lives in rural Georgia. I could be wrong. Um, of course, I don't know all the locations of these people. It, yeah. It wasn't Kobo, yeah. was it? Mm. There you go. That's who it is. Yeah, Kobo loves, loves, loves dollhouse. Um, and, and you know, that's fine. I, I think I, I, the reason that I bring up that there are people who do love it is I think it's important to say, you know, that there are fans of it. Um it's just I'm really not one of them. But, you know, I am not uh, – I recognize Joss Whedon has certain talents, but I am not somebody who's, you know uh, – I, mean, I guess I am a brown coat, but I'm not forever in the Whedonverse. You know, I don't know anything about Buffy. Uh, I have no real interest to see Buffy. Um, but, you know, I, I think I think the things that I've seen – Whedon is about, you know, at a, you know, 50 batting well, average, you know. The, the the one thing, well, the one thing that we ought to be, well, I am certainly grateful for, is that there's such a plethora of uh, science fiction shows about, um, you know, I, I, and I, I'm going to include in that 
you know, fantasy things like, you know, Game of Thrones or, or whatever it is that you like, uh, you know, um, um, uh, well, obviously with things like Arrow and, um, mm. um, and uh, oh, The Flash and uh, uh, yeah. Smallville, or, or all the different things that you can think mm-hmm. of, uh, Gotham, mm-hmm. uh, Daredevil. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can barely keep up with them all. Uh, Agents right. of Shield, um, the not the X Men. That the, there's another superheroes. Uh, the one where um, uh, the actor who plays Arrow, his brother's the uh, the lead in it. Because I kept saying, God, they've just copycatted uh, the lead of the actor from Arrow, and then somebody pointed out that it was his brother in this this one. Uh, the one I'm thinking of, um, Rick Wall. Uh, any more to add on this one before we move on? I couldn't get into this uh, series. Right. Right. I'm trying to think of Stephen Amell's brother's name, but I can't now. But uh, his brother was in a, another TV series. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let, oh, here's Mike coming on audio. Let's see if he has something to add. Mike, are you just coming in with a specific point to make? Nope, just calling back in to be on audio, listening in. Thank you. There are some uh, upcoming shows I want. Just... Okay, that's good. Uh, we're moving on from Dollhouse now then, okay? Uh, number 41, Battle of the Planets. Um, this is a, a, it's like an animated one. Um, the time and place that you first watched uh, this changes what you call it. It's in Japan. In Japan, it was Science Ninja Team Kachaman. When he first came to the US writing the post-war star, the post-Star Wars wave, it was Battle of the Planets. Kids just called it G-Force. And then it was re-edited and shown again, and that name stuck. Um, so um, that is the one which I have uh, nothing to say on this particular one. Uh, is this one that you'd come in to speak about? Um, no, I'm not, I'm not that familiar with uh, Gatchaman. I've heard of it, and it's other spin-offs like Gatchaman 2, Gatchaman Fighter, the OVA, Gatchaman Crowd. Seen much of much of this particular series? I just know that it's sort of a. I don't know if you would compare it to to uh, Sentai Rangers, Power Rangers, uh, but it does have that similar style. But again, anime. I've not really seen that much of this. Okay. All right, again, I'm going to move fairly quickly through these. Number 40, and uh, here we are at uh, something I will play a little clip for. It's Life on Mars. My name is Sam Tyler. I had an accident and I woke up in 1973. Am I mad? In a coma? Or back in time? Whatever's happened, it's like I've landed on a different planet. Now maybe if I can work out the reason, I can get home. And I'll stop it there. This, of course, is the UK TV series. Only 16 episodes uh, of it. Uh, but what an impact it certainly made here. And um, it came out uh, 2006, 
uh, to 2007. Um, science fiction uh, was only an initial hook, uh, but the recent BBC series is so much uh, damn fun that we're keeping on the list anyway. Manchester Police, all right, Manchester. Uh, detectives gets hit by a car in the middle of 2000 and wakes up in 1973. We're never quite sure if he's in a coma or he's actually travelled through time or whatever. The clothes quickly sequels to a terrifying police force and it allows them of course to have very impolitical correct um dealings with narcs narcs uh uh the police beating confessions uh and all sorts of nef nefarious activities that went on in the the sort of uh, uh the criminal world and the way that the the police dealt with it um and um this also had a sequel series that uh, came off from it, and I don't think it's on this list, called Ashes to Ashes, uh, which had a, a loose link to it, uh, but not the Thames Iron Zone. And at the end of that, uh, which ran for three series, there's a very, very big reveal. Uh, now, the American series, uh, uh, the US spin-off series, um, from what I've heard, I haven't watched it, did suffer a little bit from the way that it was concluded um, and there was some controversy about uh, the lead actor who's picked a uh, fabulous actor um, but considered maybe to be a little bit old I think it was the actor known as Mr Wolf well I know him as Mr Wolf um, but um, uh, everybody knows him as Harvey Keitel but uh, we're talking here about the UK version I absolutely uh, thought this was a brilliant series. John Sim, of course, uh, prior to becoming the master uh, in Doctor Who. Um, and uh, excellent. I, I just really... Uh, yeah, Dave the Mankwino. Yes, that's right. Days of the Mankwino. Probably in 1973, I was just beginning to be like that as well. Um, so there you go. Uh, I loved it. Thought it was great. I thought the way it had been um, realised... Uh, you know the costuming, the cars, the 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 way they talked, um, the way that they were the 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 police characters worked. Um, some great uh, smaller roles played by other actors in it, and of course, um, I suppose we should say um, what who's the other Philip Glenister. Really got his big break in this. Liz White was a good actress. We saw Liz White recently in the, the Doctor Who Christmas episode, The Snowman. Dean Andrews, great actor. He, he's acted in some really good, um, I think, Meadow Halls. He, he was in um, uh, a real psychological drama. Marshall Lancaster's uh, was um, in um, a Doctor Who story, The Almost People. Uh, so really great cast as well anybody else um, uh, what's uh, Willis Kill Life on Mars should be ranked higher than, at least in the top 20 well done uh, let's go I, I, I would put it um, well up there probably in the top 20s so that's me having said a lot anybody else want to have their thoughts on this without giving the major plot reveal which in actual fact is not revealed in this it's revealed in uh, Ashes to Ashes yeah, I mean, I would say it shouldn't be on the list at all. It's not science fiction. Um, why is it here? It it's certainly is one of the best television series of the last decade. But 
it's not science fiction. Well, in as much as the question is not answered until the very end, it could have been. No, 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 wait. Okay, could have been. But again, the very end of what? Not this series. No, no, not this series. No, no. I mean, if you take right. it, if you take it as an insulated thing, I don't see anything science fiction in here. I see, you know, hypotheses, but it largely is not even about that. It's largely about what happens in each episode. Just a, it's a. I mean, it's it's largely still just a police procedural, really. Yeah, it's a way of getting round political correctness, isn't it? As much as anything, I, I suppose. Yeah, um, but I mean, if, if you've you never seen, on it. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess that there are a, li- a few little scenes throughout the series where you have some doubt as to what the reality of the main character is. But mm. it's still, it's just, it's just that. It's just doubts. It's just breadcrumbs. It's not the bartender, the bartender, and things. Right, you know, the test girl, you know, test yeah. girl, whatever. Yeah. But um, it's, it's, don't get me wrong, it is a fabulous show on so many different levels, every department firing on all cylinders. But um, it's to me, it's not science fiction. Okay, well, I, I think we should leave it at there because mm-hmm. to, to say any more would expose yeah, things. Yeah, that... absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody? Rick Wall, Mike, uh, I'm going to move on. I Which never is... saw the British one. I saw the American one, and I didn't like it that much. Right, well, please don't judge it on that. Okay, let's move along. Another here. one. Of... Sorry, Mike? Go on. I was just saying that we've had some comments here from Merlin agreeing with what Rick was saying there. But, right. Uh, yeah. And I would agree with, right. with Darth there is about how I love the show, Life on Mars, it's a great show, but it's not sci-fi. It's it's an attempt to have a, well, it's odd saying a period drama because it's only back in the 70s, but it, it, the show says there, there are some you know, clashes there between what, what is what You're breaking up quite badly. Okay, I'll goodbye. Okay. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just trying to inform you of what was happening, Mike. Okay. Uh, let's move on to 39. Thanks for coming on audio. Obviously, um, um, it was difficult to just follow what he was saying there. Um, another fan of, uh, I think it was something like this one as well, Lex. Um, now it's time to go some hardcore nerd stuff. Spanning two universes and countless worlds, Lex featured the strangest crew ever assembled on board the Lex uh, and a low-level security guard and captain, a mystical undead assassin, uh, a half-cluster lizard love slave, a sentient plant that projects humanoid images, and a robotic head. And of course, the ship itself, which looks actually looks like an insect, um, it, it was uh, quite a good one. Now, I'm not too sure it stayed at that quality, but um, I thought it was um, really, um, really good. And Mike's just apologising for his audio breakup. Thanks, Matt. Um, I, I just hope I didn't uh, frighten you off there, uh, but thank you for coming in on the audio when you did. Uh, is this one you've caught, uh, Rick? Yes, I uh, I enjoyed it. Um, uh, um, it was um, um, definitely uh, kept my interest. It was definitely weird, 
but uh, I enjoyed it. There were parts where I, I absolutely adored it. Um, um, was it um, uh, um, somewhat um, uh, pornographic in some times? Yeah, but uh, it didn't, it didn't, I didn't mind it that much. I liked the characters. I liked the idea. I loved the, the design of Lex and uh, stuff like that. Uh, and I like the characters. All right, all right. Um, uh, Berlin's put Lex was bizarre, Canadian madness with nudity and crap effects. Uh, it did have its moments, though. Yeah, I thought the spaceship was great, and the, the main characters were pretty good. And uh, maybe he's talking about Xenus uh, Seaberg, is it there? But um, yeah, let's let's move on because we. Again, uh, doing... it was not just purely Canadian. I believe uh, it was also German. Right. Right. Okay. At 38, War of the Worlds. Uh, this is the version from 1988 to 1990. Well, nothing ever topped Orson Welles in the uh, Mercury Theatre in 1938. That's the radio version, of course. The TV version picks up where the other leaves off. The invaders from Mars switch to a distant planet, Mortax, in this version didn't just die out, but went into stasis. Um, uh, the aliens then possess uh, bodies of terrorists, begin a plan to prepare Earth for full invasion uh, and occupation by a massive fleet coming. Um, now, I'm not sure whether this was the one that Adrian, uh, who was in Highlander, went into. I'll have to look that up. Have we got any uh, fans of War of the Worlds? I'm sorry, I've got so many pages over here. I'm having to actually open up another one just to check that. Oh, oh it's gone to the film version. It would do it. Always does things like that when you're not wanting it to. I'm going to take the signs very quickly and move on. Okay, 37 now. Mike, this was probably one Mike wanted to talk about. And he's coming back on audio. I think hopefully he's be fine, so let me unmute him. And this, uh, number 37, is Twin Peaks. If you don't think this is science fiction, tell it to your pocket-universe-dwelling dwarf who speaks in a backward audio tape language. David Lynch's 1990 trip into television was a surreal send-up of every genre imaginable. Is this one that hopefully you can talk about, Mike? Yes, it is, and hopefully now you can hear me. Better. What? Don't just kidding, just, off, break. just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> I hope Mike yes, knows Mike. me enough to to know I was kidding. Your thoughts then, Mike? Oh, right, Twin Peaks. I don't, I don't, I don't know why it's on this list. It's not a sci-fi show. It's a lot of the show was a lot of genres. It was murder mystery. It was soap opera. It was psychological thriller. There were some small sci-fi elements, a story thread here and there, but not enough to make this a sci-fi show. So, love Twin Peaks, one of my favorite shows, but it doesn't belong on this list. Okay, let me just put a link in the room, and um, again, I'll assume those people are not speaking, are not speaking because they don't have anything to add. Thirty, 
episodes um, over two seasons. Uh, uh, Kyle McLachlan, uh, uh, Diana Ashbrook, Richard Bremner. Um, looking else at any names that I'm picking out of uh, there. Piper Laurie. Hmm. Um, Russ Tamblin. I didn't know Russ Tamblin was in it. Seven Bars for Seven Brothers and lots of other stuff. Okay, I'm going to move on because um, we're putting rather heavy strain on our uh, small number of participants. At 36, Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Biddy Biddy, Biddy Biddy, is that one? Uh, Let me have a clip. Beyond the jet plane. Beyond the atomic bomb. Beyond the time machine and all the scientific marvels of tomorrow, there is Buster Kraft as Buck Rogers. Thrill as Buck and his sidekick. <laughs> I think that's a bit of an earlier clip, don't you folks? R- r- wrong one, Dave. <laughs> I think so. Don't forget, I had I was searching out 70 clips for today. Don't worry, I'm not going to play them all. Uh, it took me about four hours. Did it all for the love? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Post-Star Wars, you saw booming for existing science fiction franchise. The era launched Star Trek into the movies and brought well-loved characters from the comic strip, film series, and early television. Uh, Glenn Larson, who was working on Battlestar Galactic at the time, reimagined Buck Rogers as a NASA astronaut in the then future year of 1987, while in a mission to space, it accident sends him into cryogenic stasis and returns him to Earth five centuries later. Hence the title, Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Um, so, um, this one of yours then, Rick? Um, yeah, I liked it. Um, I, uh, um, liked it at least uh, the first season. Uh, um, the second season, when they got into the, like um, uh, the uh, the ship, I forget the name of it. Um, I didn't care for that much. I thought it became a little too uh, kid-like. But um, or was that the third season? Anyway. Um, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, fun. Um, um, Definitely um, sort of a throwback or homage to the 30s and 40s of science fiction. But like I said, I enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah, there were just two series. Uh, Biddy, 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 yes. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, Right, I I am going to move... I'm going to try because I want us to spend at least some time on the the sort of top ten. So uh, you know, stop me and buy one, anybody, if uh, you want me to. In fact, I'm just going to read a few titles unless um, we suddenly jump to one that people in the room feel relevant. And those people listening to the recording later, if we're skipping over the one that you really do like, apologies. But um, as we say with the Colton Collective, uh, you know, we go with the ones that interest the people live on the call. Uh, number 35, Cowboy Bebop. And I'm going to move on from that. Uh, at 34 was Caprica. Uh, this was um, 
sort of related to uh, what had happened before Battlestar Galactica. Um, I think that got cancelled. I think that was one of the ones that got uh, not. I I saw it, um, and I actually quite enjoyed it to start with. I thought um, it was quite good. Let me put a link in the room to that one while we see if there's any. Um, oh yes, um, sorry Merlin, I should have from. Um, but Rogers have meant it, mentioned Erin Gray. Yeah, Erin Gray is still hot. The, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Caprica. Um, Eric Stoltz was in that uh, as the main lead actor, I think. Um, 90, only 19 episodes, one season. I think it actually got cancelled before the end of its its run. Oh, Jill Jared, not so much. So there's Oscar talks. Thank you. Uh, right, I'm going to move on. Uh, 33, Alien Nation. Um, and I'm looking at that. It looks like the detective in there looks like the policeman out of Arrow. Now, I'm going to have to do some thinking now on my feet. So, let me um, just read what it says, Alien Nation, as I type. Yeah, usually, of course, we have two people running this show together, so we can uh, we can split duties. Uh, just when you thought uh, you'd seen every mismatch cop pair, there's this. My partner's a space alien. Uh, while it lacked the affable quality of James Kahn, uh, our bromance, uh, the series became, um, in essence, Alien Nation's social tapestry. And I think I'm messing that up too much. But I've got a feeling that um, that actor that was in it is the guy who plays the policeman. And of course, I've closed out my arrow page. Any thoughts on this, folks? Well, I just do that quick check. If you're looking at the picture, um, you might see the actor I'm talking about. Not coming to me. Sorry. We'll move on. Uh, 32, Star Trek Voyager. We're in Deep Space Nine. No, we're not. We're in uh, Seven of Nine. People spend a lot of time giving Voyager grief. Uh, while it did have a rocky launch, the series became uh, became some good quality adventuring spacefaring once things got in the groove. Voyager took a handful of Federation crew members and some marquee rebels and flicked them away out of the Delta Quadrant, uh, where their coming home would take seven decades at top speed. And of course, uh, Ian would say his favourite cap- captain, Captain Janeway, uh, was in charge of that mission, and of course we had Robert Picardo uh, playing the Doctor, um, and of course we had the character of Seven and Nine that was brought, who was brought in to sort of rejuvenate things and uh, really, um, really uh, divided uh, things. She was obviously a survivor from the Borg, and uh, some people thought that was a great change up. And I was one of those people that did. Other people didn't think it was a necessary move um, because um, it changed the dynamic of uh, one of the other actresses that left, who played, uh, was it Kev that, that, that dropped out at that point? No, she dropped out before that, but that's besides the point. 
Right, but but she was a sort of a replacement for that character in a way, wasn't she? And she dropped out in the she dropped out in the episodes that seven or nine came on. They they were in a few uh, episodes together. I thought so. Yeah. I thought she was a guest star in those episodes. She okay, nominally she was a guest star, but the, uh, those appearances were continuous with her performance um as a regular. In other words, she's in the first 3 seasons as a regular and then she's in the first few episodes of well, season 3 ends on a cliffhanger and then comes back episode 1 of season 4 she necessarily has to be in it because it was a cliffhanger from season three and then i think she's around for the next episode too she's in a few episodes of season four yes as a guest star but again if you you know chart the episodes they are continuous with uh, season three all right right yeah now um i'm surprised actually that uh there were 177 seasons uh 172 episodes um and um, yeah, crikey! Why are you um, Why are you surprised? That's that's. Well, so I, I didn't think were, I didn't think it went seven. Um, uh, oh yeah, there's always. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know. With um, uh, certainly Star Trek. Net, well, there's a few of them where they were sort of went a bit wobbly on the third season, didn't they? And then then improved. Um, but this is not your favourite of the group. I mean, I know Merlin's put in there, not the best of spin-off, but still passable. Uh, Ian, it's his favourite uh, captain, least. Uh, I think I'm, I might be putting words in your mouth. Have you been a bit dismissive of this version of Star Trek in the past? Star oh, yeah, I hate it. Absolutely hate uh, it. It shouldn't be on this list. It's, it's the nadir of the franchise. Um and I think it sort of prejudiced people against Enterprise, which potentially was more interesting. Um, and Enterprise, therefore, did not really get the opportunity of having the first two seasons be bad because Voyager sort of exhausted that possibility for people. Um, and, and not only that, but Voyager... Okay, so having having Deep Space Nine's first two seasons coincide with the last two seasons of um, Next Generation was good. I mean, you know, in, in the sense of uh, that's not it's not horrible to have that high quality of Star Trek and another series being on at the same time. You know, let's not forget it was the last season of Next Generation that got an Emmy nomination for best drama, right? Um, so that's a pretty good partner to have as you're launching your show. Um, the last two seasons of Deep Space Nine are contemporaneous with the first two seasons of Voyager. Also, not a bad thing to happen, because by that point, more people had sort of tuned in to Deep Space Nine, and, you know, those are what most people would consider to be the best seasons of Deep Space Nine. That sort of gives cover to the fact that the first two seasons of Voyager is simply awful. Um, but then by the time you get around to the last two seasons of Voyager, they're pretty crap. Um, and, you know, at that point, people are just sort of fatigued. And I think there was therefore no allowance for mistake. And I just think that Enterprise offered more possibility than what 
um, e- even though Enterprise didn't deliver on all the promise that it had, it still delivered more than what Voyager did. You know, the, 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 yeah, exactly. the essential premise of Voyager was supposed to be, here you have these two societies or two factions of society that are at complete odds with each other. So how do they, on the other side of the universe, coexist in order to get back to where they should be? And that was really, you know, how many episodes did they explore that at all? The first episode, and then there's one episode in like season five or six or whatever where they uncover this hologram that Tuvok had written in order to train security in the event of an incursion by the Maquis. And that's where it ends, man. And the other thing is, of course, that, you know, within the the universe of Star Trek, um, the last two seasons of uh, – it's weird because in a, in a way, they might have gotten screwed by Deep Space Nine, sort of, because Deep Space Nine ends the Maquis thing, right? Uh, so that there's nothing left to fight about. Although they wouldn't have known that there was nothing left to fight about, so potentially they still could be fighting against each other in the way that you would find, you know, a soldier in Japan in 1970 who didn't get word that World War II was over. Um, and that could have been really fascinating, but they just didn't explore it. <laughs> right. Uh, just a few things, just to to read out. Merlin um, um, says, "Yeah, played concurrently with these." Deep Space Nine. Uh, Mike, a funny thing, the writers tried to keep track of Voyager's supplies, missiles, etc. Well, of course, they were in a, mm-hmm. they had no way of renewing those supplies, didn't they, I suppose, except trading uh, early on in the show's run. Then they just gave up, realising it wasn't worth the effort. Uh, I just contacted Ian to say we're two hours into the show and still just halfway through the list. His reply, see, I told you it'd be a good show. Uh, is on the road driving home now with three teenagers yeah. in the back of his car playing role-playing games. So I think we've probably got I mean, the better deal there. What's interesting is that, for the record, Voyager Done Right is called Battlestar Galactica. Right. I mean, really, <laughs> okay. if, you, if you think about it, that Battlestar, uh, Ronald D. Moore's Battlestar Galactica is Voyager. Right. Or what Voyager was supposed to be. Right. I must admit, I, I, I would place, I mean, I, I would, if this is on, then Enterprise should be on the list because I, I, although I didn't like the time war element that they brought into it so much, even though I liked, I didn't think it needed it. Exactly the same thing I thought in Space 1999. Did it, you know, they had enough of they had enough good stuff to have a good story. They didn't need to have anything fantastical uh, to sort of boost it. Uh, let's um, let's just play a bit of that just to get my breath back and have a drink, and then uh, we'll see where we go. Stop it there, because there's no uh, words in it. So, um, anybody want to say anything else about this before we move on to uh, number 31? I thought Voyager was uh, lost in space, but it was done better before. Oh, well, that's very good of you, because number 31 is lost in space. Well done, Rickwell. You've read the script. (laughs) 
shows don't give us any goofy voices to mimic Lost in Space gave us two the booming stentorian robot sorry Danger Danger Will Robinson and the cowardly histrionic Dr. Smith oh the pain I didn't do him very well did I didn't do the other one very well um, and of course that was uh, Space uh, Robinson Crusoe wasn't it really Robinson Crusoe in space with a uh, another alliteration of uh, Robbie the Robot. Um, very much, I, I never know what, how this one compares with the one in um, Forbidden Planet, you know, whether they're actually linked in any way. No, they're not. Robbie did make an appearance, though. Right. Actually, I believe it was a couple of episodes he was in. Right, I mean, again, um, I didn't like the Doctor's character. I mean, this was really, um, it went very bizarre. But having said that, when these sort of uh, TV shows were, were, were on the air, this was, um, the black and white versions were in 65-60 and then 66-68 in colour, uh, H3 episodes. Um, you know, it was the time when we were watching... Um, Avengers, would Avengers be on in the UK with Mother and the sort of slightly um, uh, strange way that they were, you know, unworldly things that they were bringing into it, sort of. You felt as though the writers had uh, partaken of some LSD or something. I don't know whether that's doing them an injustice, but it certainly it, it gave the impression that they were uh, sampling some magic mushrooms or something in some of the uh, the plots. I liked the black and white ones better um, uh, um, than when it got into color and the third season, please. Uh, um, you know, uh, uh, everything that's bad about TV and uh, sci-fi that you that you hear uh, is embodied by the episode called The Great Vegetable Rebellion. I think I can guess. Oh, please. Uh, so, but, um, no, I, at the first season, maybe even, I'll go even short of the first half season, uh, half of the first season, I should say, was, uh, uh, in my opinion, and being a 10-year-old kid, uh, um, uh, great. Um, and also, you got to realize that at that time, you know, that's what science fiction was basically aimed at, kids. At least here in the States. Yeah. Uh, I thought I said the 60s Merlin, but uh, I must have done something. Of course, uh, as you say, uh, and I'm going to get his name wrong, Bill Mummy. Mummy. Uh, thank you. Uh, of course, in that famous Twilight Zone, um, Twilight Zone episode that we talked about on Talking Twilight um, a while back, um, Rick Wall. Uh, very quickly, as I, uh, that's the one where they're all scared of him as the young boy who can uh, control yeah, things. Yeah, I always forget the I always forget the title myself. <laughs> uh, 
tomorrow, something like tomorrow's, uh, it's a beautiful day or something, isn't it? Yes, something like and, that. And uh, if you want to, by the way, check out that on Torchu. It's finished now for the moment, but uh, Talking Twilight Zone, 150 episodes of that. And the call ID is 68228, 68228. Um, and that was Talking Twilight Zone. And um, there's one episode that he's in there. Quite a lot of the people that we talked about appeared in, uh, in, in those. All right, let's move on because at number 30, Battlestar Galactica, the 1978-1979 uh, version. And um, this is the one with uh, an act who was perhaps known, first of all, for Bonanza. That's Lorne Green. Uh, I must go to Darth on this one, I think. Yeah, well, not perhaps known. I mean, he is known for Bonanza. <laughs> that was a hugely influential show. Ran, you know, 15 times as long as Battlestar Galactica. Dumb that this thing's on the list. I mean, really. <laughs> is 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 the Ronald D. Moore one on the list? Or am I... Is there what one more? Is the, is the, you know, the modern version on the list, or is it just this this one? It's just this one, right? uh, I think it's just... No, oh, the no, it's modern not. version no, it's is number four. Higher. It's at number four. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you know, that's good. Uh, I really, I mean, I don't know. I, I, in the sense of, if Buck Rogers, the Gil Gerard version of Buck Rogers is here, I guess this thing must be too. Um, but it's horrible. It really is. I mean, you can see the core story elements that were there and why you'd want to revive it and do it better. But as it exists. Uh, it's. Uh, I I I really don't quite get why it's on the list because it's you know it's one season they couldn't budget worth a damn, uh, so the production the producers were actually actively horrible they failed to produce this show because I mean the thing that's crazy about uh, Battlestar Galactica the original series is that it had great ratings and the only reason that it got canceled was it came in over budget. Really? I mean, uh, you can't do you, you can't do the numbers right. Yeah, I mean, seriously, it is it is an example of why producers are important to shows. Um, I don't know. I, I think I think because of that reason alone, and because finances are so important to the production of of science fiction, I think it doesn't deserve to be on. It's not. It is the anti example of how to produce science fiction. So. Uh. Uh, a couple of facts. Uh, we've got people talking in text chat while uh, writing in text chat while talking. So those people listening later, uh, that's one of the reasons to come on live. Uh, Merlin's put uh, yeah, uh, Rick Springfield in the first episode. Um, yeah. Also met uh, Lorne Green once filming in my hometown. Excellent. And um, also Willis Girl has put um, John Williams. Let me just put that right. Yeah. A uh, little known fact, John Williams completely Posed the Lost in Space theme. That was the one we were talking about uh, prior to Battlestar Galactica. Mm. But um, yeah, uh, Dirk Benedict in this, of course. Now, doesn't he become face in? Um... Yeah, yeah, yep. in, that's right. The eighteen. In eighteen. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting though. What I love, since we're talking there briefly about theme songs, the, I love the use of the old Battlestar Galactica theme in the new Battlestar Galactica. Because it's just right. It shows that it's you know it's it's used as a 
um, a, a diegetic um, piece. In other words, the people in the show can hear it. Um, and it is just as a sort of uh, like band march, uh, sort of a to. I mean, it's used when when Adama in the new series is effectively going to decommission the um, the Galactica, right? So it's a ceremonial piece. It's not it's not like real music, you know, in the sense of um, modern music that would be within that universe that people listen to for enjoyment. It is merely this ceremonial thing. And I I love that because it, it, on the one hand, it's a, it is a commentary upon the quality of that first series. In other words, it just sort of throws it away as here is this thing. We're going to play this real quickly to get through this ceremony and then we're going to go on with our lives and never think about this piece of music again. I just love that. I think it's brilliant. Um, and it's probably one of the best uses of a uh, an old theme in a new uh, iteration of a show just because it's used in a way that is narratively significant. And I, I think that's great. Okay. Um, a pressure time. We're going to have to move on. Uh, it's, uh, normally at this point where we were getting to the middle, we would have probably stopped at number 25 and left the list for another week. But um, uh, we've not really got that uh, ability to do that because um, of uh, other commitments that Ian's got coming up with theatri- theatrical stuff. And we're also trying to get our uh, classic commentaries done prior to the new season of Doctor Who. So let's press on. At um, 29 is Futurama, which um, uh, is um, got a great uh, following of fans. Of course, an animated uh, show we're talking about here. Um, so, um, again, uh, I'm just going to ask if anybody wants to comment on it. Uh, maybe more known for its comedy than... Obviously, it is science fiction, I would think, but it's it's really just using that as a setup for uh, a crazy kid having fun in the future. Or a t- not a crazy kid, just a teenager, I would think. I'll put the link in the room, the wiki link in, while we see to if anybody wants to comment. Um, uh, created by Matt Goering, is it how you pronounce his name? Goering. Um, yep. Uh, seven seasons, 140 episodes of it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, it says the uh, last one was September 2013, so um, sort of ran from that. It's ran for 14 years, which is, uh, I mean, apart from The Simpsons, that's uh, uh, about as long as they, they, they go. Okay, I'm going to move on. I know there are cult and fans of that show. But unfortunately, they may not be here today, are on audio. 28, Logan's Run. Um, and I'm going to skip through a couple of these. Um, love the film. Um, uh, my brother-in-law thinks it's uh, one of his most uh, favourite films, sci-fi, but this was the, the TV series. I'm, I'm going to move on quickly, folks. Sorry if I'm passing yours. 27, Red Dwarf. British series spans 10 seasons across 25 years, telling the long winding tale of Dave Lister, the non-too-polished repairman that ends up uh, as the last human being in the universe. Now, it's gone through a couple of rough patches. It, um, some series um, f- 
far better than others. And um, uh, I believe uh, the talk is that it's coming back. Yes, supposedly. Um, hopefully. Uh, there was a, a long period when um, it wasn't, but uh, I think that will be um, uh, Red Dwarf X, won't it? Red Dwarf No, that was the the, the ill-fated one, wasn't it? That they did a, a short one. Let me go to the Red Dwarf page and see if it says anything about upcoming... Uh, 2016. It was confirmed on the 2nd of May 2015 that an 11th series of Red Dwarf will be filmed in 2015 for release in 2016. The series will be once again aired on the Dave channel. Uh, all cast are expected to return to their roles after the announcement of an 11th and 12th series of Red Dwarf. Craig Charles uh, quit his role on Coronation Street to focus on the filming for the 11th series. Um, so it's been off our air since uh, uh, the beginning that she was uh, aired on the 8th of November 2012. Okay, uh, let's move on. I mean, I, I I really do think it is a great series, no doubt about it. Oh, I, uh, I think there's significant doubt about that. It's horrible. Um, and you know, we should point well, out if if Ian were here, he would be championing this as well. So I mean, I think I think the majority opinion. Of, uh, of a lot of fans, especially if you have Doctor Who fans in the room or people who are sensitive to British culture, would be it's an okay show, uh, and even better than an okay show, a really good show. But the thing is, I it's as you say, it is incredibly uneven. Yeah, it is. Um, I would certainly agree with that. And for that reason, you know, I don't know that I can put it anywhere close to the top or even on the list at all, because it's uh, you know one of the tenets of being an excellent show is that you are not uneven, or at the very least, that you you know, grow from humble beginnings to great endings. And it doesn't do any of that. It is simply uneven. Um, and it's, you know, the humor is, even as a comedy, if you, you know, strip out the science fiction stuff and just look at it as a British comedy, it's not that great. It's really not. It's not. A, it is not a classic like Vaulty Towers. It is not a classic even like the thick of it or something more modern. Um, Twenty twelve even is is probably better than it in terms of the the writing of the comedy itself. Um, it, it's this weird little half life thing of. Um, it's it's not even great as science fiction parody. Like it's not Futurama, for instance, or it's not. Right. Um, or it's not Robot Chicken. You know, it's not um, even this great show that just launched the Lego Star Wars, whatever the hell it's called, Droid Tales. Um, it's not even as funny as that. You know, it's it is this weird thing that you know. I suppose if you really force yourself to watch every episode, you would be able to find within it episodes that are great for. Uh, that series, you know, that rewards you for having watched it, but it's, it's it is insignificant to me. Okay, uh, I mean, there, there was so, I mean, polymorph, uh, backwards, uh, time slides. There's a couple where you know uh, they went to the assassination of President Kennedy and a few other episodes that were good, but patchy. I would I would absolutely give you that. Uh, let's move on. 26, Ghost in the Shell. Um, 
uh, again, an animated one. Uh, Ghost in the Shell was a, a phrase kind of thing when they were developing um, uh, 64-bit computers, and I think um, it, it refers to that statement. But I, no. I haven't got it. Does it not? No. Okay. Do you want to correct me? Uh, it has to do with um, 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 the uh, robots um, uh, in the uh, uh, series itself, and and the uh, um, the way they uh, connect to uh, the net and whatnot. Um, it really has nothing to do with a Western um, um, statement at all. Okay. Right. Thanks for clarifying that. Uh, I'm going to move us on. Again, I'm going to be a little bit harsh, folks. You have to, as I say, you know, reel, reel me back if I try and pass one you wanted to really talk about. Max Hedrum, uh, amazing that this is uh, uh, so high in a way, not because it wasn't of a cult status, um, but uh, Max Hedrum, the character started uh, as a postmodern cyberpunk talk show host in Britain, an original story telefilm, something of a satirical media saturated 1984, uh, explained how the news producer Edson Carter got in too deep uh, with the oligarchy television networks and was downloaded to a computer. So you get this sort of um, uh, breakup of the, the, the video as he's talking, and that, that really did catch people's imagination. Uh, with the Max um, Hedrum. So, again, anybody want to comment on that? Otherwise, we'll move uh, fairly quickly along. Let me just put a, at least a link in the room for those people who, who want to check it out more. By the way, those people listening to the recording later, uh, uh, you can go to a place called Chatgrabber. That's chatgrabber.com. If you put in the call series that you're listening to now, that's 54821, and put in the episode 290, uh, then you can catch all these links that I've been putting in throughout the course of the recording. So that's www.chatgrabber.com. Okay. Is there any chance I could ask you to play a quick uh, snap, snip, snippet of that music? Uh, that's one of the ones. I, actually, I don't think I've actually got a clip of Max Hedron. Thank you. Um, and I'm looking through 60-odd things I've got here. Um, I, I've got had to get quite a lot because um, there were some that I was thinking may get picked up, but I don't know how we'll do for time. But thanks for that. Okay. At 24, Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles. Um entire roster of Institute for Advanced Study at Princeton could get together and they still wouldn't be able to draft a cohesive timeline of the Terminator franchise, but once you expect, accept the paradoxes and contradictions, you can drive into this pocket universe featuring um, um, Lena Headley as Sarah Connor, I think she did a great job on that, Summer Glau as the Terminator, was sent back to protect the future John Connor. Um, and the first episode is rather strange because they're they're not in present day time, and um, they actually flee. They do a time jump in it, a little bit like um, something that happened with um, a couple of other science fiction series. Uh, they suddenly jump uh, into a more modern time period. 
but I thought this was done rather well, and I thought Summer Glau uh, is pretty good in this. I think she's better in this than I've seen her playing in Arrow, uh, and a little bit better than um, I saw saw in a couple of other things. But um, I also enjoyed watching her on the, the one of the Big Bang episodes. That was rather good, seeing her guest on that. Have we got any fans of the Sarah Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles? I I, I really enjoyed it. Um, again, I've got so many links to try and get up here. I can't remember how many episodes there were. But uh, no, let's move on then. Uh, Twenty-three Torchwood. Now I'm not going to read what it says here, but the thing about Torchwood is. Can you say Torchwood? Because the series that Torchwood has done have been vastly different, uh, both in style, quality, and uh, and uh, their reaction. So, uh, does anybody want to separate Torchwood? Can you can you group it as a um, a particular thing? Do you think, Rick Wall? Or would you say some series were better than others? Like Miracle Day and from, so on. From, from, from what I saw of um, Torchwood, I liked it. Um, I think it... Uh, I have no problem with it being here and being in this spot. Um, um, you know, I, I, I have more to say about stuff uh, higher than I do this, but... Um, okay. Well, the uh, the first series had 13 episodes in it, different stories, and then series two, another 13 with exit wounds. Then there was the um, series three, uh, which I thought was very well received in the claim, uh, with the children and earth story. Um, uh, and I thought that was extremely well. Of course, that's the one that has Peter Picard. Peter Capaldi in it, uh, playing John Frobisher, uh, in a, a very chilling uh, role that he had to actually... Kind of a bad guy sorry. spot, yeah. But, uh, but, uh, and the moral dilemma that he faced as well. I mean, um, and it was a very frightening episode in, in one sense, so um, that was good. Then we had The Miracle Day, which um, was very dark, very, very, very dark indeed. Had a slightly dissatisfying ending, I thought, but... Um, that was good. I've read a few of the actual uh, novel, the books that have come out of Torchwood. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, some of Jane es- Esperson's uh, stories have been quite good, uh, the ones that she's written. Um, Toby, some of the same writers from Dot 2 as well, of course, Toby Whitehouse, um, Chris Chibnall, uh, Russell T. Davis, Helen Rayner, um so uh, even Noel Clark's written one episode, I think. So I'm not sure whether you can group it all together. Can you divide anything of note, Darth, out of the the four different series? Uh, you're five four two I, man. I think that this just proves that um, you know this list was written by somebody British. <laughs> right, the um, list. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but, I mean, you know, let's look at this. Is it science fiction? Yes, it's science fiction, I think, without any sort of question, really. Uh, more so than Doctor Who is. Um, I, you know, the change in format doesn't really 
bother me particularly. Um, and, you know, I have to say, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with most episodes of Torchwood, except for the final episode of Miracle Day. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah, I would agree. But, yeah, uh, you know, Miracle and, and, and what makes that last episode of Miracle Day so disappointing is that the previous nine were really good. Mm. You know, it's just it's like they didn't know how to end the damn thing. It was very it weird. It seems like they were rushed at the end. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I really buy that. I mean, what I think I buy is that Russell St. Davies was very distracted because his husband or partner, I'm not sure if they've legalized themselves. Oh, that's right. Um, yes, he was... Uh, had cancer. So, cancer yeah. Right. So I think it, at the end of the day, he was like, you know, I've really tried, uh, but I'm a human being and i got to get home. You know? Mm. Um, I, I, I could be wrong. I don't want to... But that's what it seems like to me. And and for that, I, you know, whatever. I, I'm not. I'm not going to necessarily feel that upset about the ending of Torchwood. Because, you know, the, maybe the best episode of Torchwood is, you know, one of the ones from Miracle Day. You know, that episode seven that's in there um, that Jane Edmondson wrote. And that I'm sure that he had a lot to do with, too. Um, you know, uh, I, I think it's it's probably too high on this list. But do I think it's really interesting and a good effort for science fiction these days, yeah, I think I do. Um, a part of me wishes that it had been what it was supposed to have been, which is namely um, the thing he was going to do if he didn't get to do Doctor Who. Like I would have, I think that if this had been what Russell T. Davies got to do initially, it would have been a much more interesting thing because let's face it, he, he really didn't give as much guidance on the first two series as he did later to, you know, children of earth because children of earth was essentially what he wrote alongside the four episodes of the serial of the uh, special season. Right. Um, so he was able to concentrate a lot on the character and you can see if he got his way about what children of what Torchwood should be, then it was going to be really interesting. And you can see him going back to his roots of like Century Falls and, um, you know, making a, well, in this case, I guess five episode serial um, and how well he could do that and just make the most compelling of television. Um, so, yeah, do I, I, I think that this, if you're talking about seasons, if we were to look at this list instead of looking at it in terms of, series, like that is to say, you know, programs. And instead say, you know, what's the best single season of any science fiction show? I still think to this day, Children of Earth is the number one best season of television ever. Of science fiction television. Right. We did quite a few uh, shows about 120. We did about um, the Miracle Day, and we we did a few shows about uh, that back. So if you look through the back catalogue, you, you'll see we uh, with Life on Mars, Ashes to Ashes, Torch. We 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 covered quite a lot of these. But yeah, um, and Willis's Girls put Children Earth was good. Yeah, very very uh, very frightening and very uh, menacing, but uh, excellent. Uh, let me push us on a little bit. Uh, 22 Filescape. Um, 
for four seasons early in the the noughties, uh, those who were happy enough to know about this Australian-produced space opera follow the uh, got to follow the adventures of lost NASA astronaut John Crichton, uh, a living ship known as Moya and a not-so-peaceful keep peacekeepers. And, of course, I have to say that one of the actresses in that was Gigi Edgley, which Ian uh, profusely uh, met and fawned over at a certain convention. I uh, can't remember which convention it was now, but um, a big fan of Gigi Edgley is Ian. So there you are, Ian. Mentioned it for you. Uh, fans? Any other fans other than Ian for Filescape? Not so much for <laughs> I'm only kidding Ian, I love you. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh I like the uh, show. Um I I thought at the end uh, some of the uh some of the stuff they did was kind of uneven, like the uh, peacekeeper wars and stuff like that made no sense. But um in the first season or two, I lo- I really enjoyed. Okay, let me just say um, I've got a clip of that, but at this stage, I think I'll I'll skip that playing that. Eighty-eight episodes of that four seasons. Uh, ben Browder um, playing it. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I probably am wrong, but Ben Ben Browder played sheriff in one of the Dot Two episodes. Um, I'm sure he was yeah. in Doctor in a town called Mercy. Thank you, thank you, Rick Wall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where Ian felt he was underused in that. Okay, number twenty-one, Quantum Leap. Oh, we must hear a little bit of that. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Doctor Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap accelerator. <laughs> He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mere images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life. And I'd better stop it there. Yeah, Scott Bakula, uh, of course, played captain in Star Trek Enterprise. I think he's a very good actor. I mean, no, maybe not as advanced as some, but I mean, uh, I, I like the the ones where he was singing. I thought the one where he was uh, playing a person who was acting or singing in the Don Quixote one, thought that was a tremendous episode. Um, there was one where he was playing a blind pianist where he was, Good. There's one where he was um, on the run uh, with a, uh, a woman, and he and the woman were uh, a duet. Um, they were great. There was one where he he, he leaped into the life of a a black pool player. Um, so I think some of the episodes were really good. And then there was ones where um, they uh, they crossed their time streams, and of course Dean Stockwell was the other main character in it. And um, it meant they could go back further in time because they they, they could go far back as um, Dean Stockwell's uh, beginnings. So um, I was a big fan of that. 97 episodes and did a rather unique... No, it did a unique thing because it was done in Time Tunnel, I believe. 
um, they basically brought it to an end where you could almost go back and start from the beginning again. Uh, and he leaped into himself one. That Donaldson's one, that was a good one. Uh, the Leap Home, I think that was called. I think that was a, a two-parter uh, where he met his father and tried to save his father's life because his father was <coughs> was old and eat, eat, eating all the wrong things or something. Yeah. Have you had any favourite episodes from Quantum Leap? Or any comments? I can't hang about too long as we we really Sorry about that. To, uh, uh, yeah, I love it, man. And uh, science fiction, uh, definitely something that stuck with me as, a, as you know, uh, one of the things I watched as I was coming up as a teenager. But uh, it definitely draw a lot, draw a lot of attention to uh, time travel. I think for the community at large, when that came out, as if people weren't already think considering, you know, time travel. Uh, but yeah, I, I really loved that 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 concept of using quantum uh, uh, science, you know, and men merging, you know, what was, you know, what's theory, you know, in, and then all in, you know, with today, and then I'm bringing it out on the silver screen. So yeah, that's great. Cheers. Thanks for that. Let's move on quickly. Pull me back if you need to, anybody. Number twenty, Star Blazers Space Battleship Yamato. Again, another animated one. I'm going to move over that one fairly quickly unless I'm stopped. 19, Babylon 5. Uh, I guess we might have a little bit to say about that, so let me play a little intro. It short, unfortunately, but um, 110 five, uh, five seasons, 110 episodes, and six TV films uh, on that. Um, I must admit, I, I gave up on that early. It, to me, and I probably should have persevered more, but it seemed as though there was an awful lot of political uh, storylines, and uh, I kept seeing this one guy looking like Napoleon all the time, and that put me off, no doubt he was a great actor or whatever. Um, got some great actors in it. Bruce Boxleitner, is it? Uh, uh, oh, Bill Mundy in it, again, I didn't realise he was. Tracy Stroggins, not saying she was the best actress, but she was in it. Um, is this one going to come back on, uh, Darth? No. I, like you... I kind of thought it was very dumb, but but not like you. I mean, the political stuff wouldn't have thrown me off because I mean, political right. stuff is what's a part and parcel of Battlestar Galactica, and I like that. And obviously, I watched the thick of it and lots of political stuff. So it's that's not, not it. It was just plotting and pretentious. And I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, it tried to make this claim, or its fans did, or maybe even its creator did, that somehow um, Deep Space Nine had stolen its ideas from it and I think it can be proved that that's not the case when you look at dates on various uh, pre-production material or whatever they really just arrived at the same conclusion at the same time, it was simultaneous discovery really um, and, and that always left a bad taste in my mouth that 
people were whining. That's what it felt like. This is the very early days of the internet, right? And people were whining about, oh, well, you know, you stole Star Trek: New Six Nine stole from us. It's like, well, that's not how you should look at things. I mean, you know, there are tons of westerns out there. These Six Nine stole from westerns. You know, it stole from Bonanza. It actually stole from like Have Gun Will Travel or really old, old standard westerns. You know. Um, so that always left a bad taste in my mouth and I never really wanted to go and discover it. Okay. Um, um, in, in text, I, uh, I went too quickly over the star blazers, uh, space battle with Yamoto, put a couple of links in. As I said, if the people on audio haven't got a comment to make, then this is an audio medium. So, uh, I, I pressed on and moved. Sorry about that. Um, uh, we've got to other comments there. Um, Merlin says that, dude, I love Star Blazers, uh, and I put the links in there. Um, most versions of it, at least. Uh, the designer recently passed away, and I love the old, chunky style of the controls. I'm assuming that's still referring to that same one. Um, uh, and Willis Girl got a comment about Farscape. Uh, Farscape was right up there with uh, Lex. Uh, in being original and with, and again, apologies because um, I'm sort of uh, driving the bus solo today, uh, so I do probably make miss the odd bits and pieces. So let's um, I move like on. The B5. On. Right, please. Uh, as a matter of fact, I enjoyed the political bit, um, and. As a whole, the political bit was actually minor in the later seasons, um, and uh, that was the whole idea of it, a UN in space. So you had to have the politics, uh, and like I said, personally, I enjoyed it, and again, I'll say, no, I don't see Londo as Napoleon. Judas, <laughs> yes. Napoleon, <laughs> no. It must be that hair, the way he's got his hair. Okay, um, again, I am going to step on toes, I'm afraid, but uh, let's go to uh, the next one, which is 18, and it's this one. What if you could travel to parallel worlds, the same year, the same Earth, only different dimensions? A world where the Russians rule America, or where your dreams of being a superstar came true, or where San Francisco was a maximum security prison. My friends and I found the gateway. Now the problem is finding a way back home. And I'll stop it there. So, yeah, we're talking about sliders. Uh, let me get the uh, link in the room. Um, again, this 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 went downhill, I think. Um, it, it was really good to start with. Um, I'm sure there may be the thought that once uh, John Reese davis abandoned ship, um, and even the, the main character, Jerry O'Donnell, uh, O'Connell, uh, left, I think his brother came in, Charlie, later on. I like the um, Carrie Werner, Werner, is it, who came in, uh, the girl who was in Eight-Legged Freaks, the movie. Uh, but there were five seasons, 88 episodes, and it probably went on a little bit too long. But it, it, I really did think it was great. Yeah, um, Donaldson's put in, uh, that was exciting at first. Um, uh, yeah, oh, my point, go on. 
that's another one where the first few seasons, first two seasons were good. After that, yeah, eh. yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike's put that as well. Went downhill once uh, John Reese Davis uh, was fired. I didn't really was he was fired. Yeah, um, he wanted more money, and they fired him. Right. Well, he got his own back in the Hobbit films, didn't he? In the uh, Lord of the Rings films. With his dual story there. Yeah. Oh, and Mike, well, I don't think we can go into it, but Mike says there's more to that story than that. Okay, uh, yeah, um, I, I, I did like it as a series and I got behind it because I do like, it's not time travel, it's it's multiple realities, isn't it, really? Okay, this is Open one I think... Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, the way of saying it. Number 17, one that Mike will probably spend a little bit of time talking about, Mystery Science Theatre 3000. Um, it's the old black and white series, um, a backbone of uh, early science fiction, I think, on TV. Precursor mainly to, maybe to um, The Twilight Zone and uh, the Outward... Um, MST3A is a precursor to... Twilight Zone, how, since it came on in the 80s? Did it? Yeah. Right, well, there you are. You see, there's my, only my first mistake. Uh, right, let me just check when it, I'm looking at the black and white photograph. I'm dating it as being earlier than that, which is, it's, because we've never it seen showed it. a lot of black and white Movies. Basically, what it was was a uh, comedy show. Um, um, oh yeah, they, not, yeah, Where they uh, um, showed old uh, movies, old B movies for the most part, and had the robot, the two robots, and their human companion uh, make uh, jokes, comments, whatever. Um, I liked the series, but why is it here? It's basically a comedy um, um, thing. But then again, you had some comedy stuff uh, earlier, so. Right, thank you. And and Mike's clarifying that as well. Not a black and white series, just some of the movies they watched. Yeah, I'm seeing, um, that looks like um, uh, This Island Earth, the monster from This Island Earth that they're showing in that clip uh, there. Uh, no, all real overall plot, just a guy on the space station with a robot friends forced to watch copy movies. Um, and uh, a novel idea, Oscar talked, is a very novel idea and quite funny. Uh, Dave is confused. Dave is, well, Dave's getting a little bit tired now having been um, doing three hours prep and nearly a three hour show, six hours for an old man like me. Uh, but as I say, we're, we're trying to soldier on to the end. So please Dave's bear with me. Dave's always confused all, anyway. That's right, me and Ritwall, confused <laughs> brothers. Okay, number 16, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Um, there we go. I'm not going to clip for that one. So, Darth, do you want to talk about this one? You had a little break and a little rest? Um, yeah, I, I assume, because I'm not looking at the list, I assume that... Uh, Next generation is probably ahead of this, and I guess the original series is probably ahead of this, which, you know, I don't personally see 
deal. I think this is the best show of the lot. Uh, but I'm glad they saw the list. I'm glad that at least somebody has recognized that it's higher than Voyager. Um, Star Trek, the original series, is higher. Battlestar Galactica is higher. The 2004-2009 series. Those two are higher than it. Yeah, well, Rachel. I'm happy it's at least on the list. There you go. Okay. Uh, right where it belongs, I believe, and my favorite um, uh, uh, Trek franchise next to TOS. All right. Seven series again, 176 episodes, Deep Space Nine. Uh, and... Um, Again, um, yeah, I, I've not watched all of it, but I, I, I watched quite a lot of it. I think I got a bit, I thought, again, that went a little bit political with, with different fractions taking over the station. Um, but uh, lots of good actors in it. Uh, Colm Meany, of course, who were transferred over. Um, Terry Farrell, great actress. Um, Avery Brooks. Uh, Rennie, oh, I can't pronounce his second name. Um, lot, yeah, thank you. Um, I've learnt to say Churchill before. That's about my only progress with pronouncing names. Not that he's in this, but there you go. Okay, uh, again, apologies to those people who are really fans of this, but uh, I, I really feel as though we, tr- we ought to sort of be, be bringing this extended show to an end. Uh, number 15. Oh, Blake Seven. Oh, pauses and says. Stop it on a high note because it. I, I like Blake Seven. I'm a big fan of Blake Seven. I'd have put it probably with this English background of mine. Yes, I'd have put it near in the top ten. But I can, if you take. Um, actually, it's very difficult because there's been. I would say in the last five years on TV, ten really good science fiction that you could fill all the top ten spots with. Those. So it, it is. It's becoming extreme when you've got this you know, almost 50-year uh, area of science fiction. Um, I mean, you could populate the top 10 with something that's been done in the last 10 years, I would have thought. And um, again, uh, created by Terry Nation, uh, Gareth Thomas played the um, the main character who was absent for a great deal of it. Um, of course, Paul Darrow, Paul Darrow, I only heard recently it had been quiet that he'd it uh, suffered uh, quite a major illness, um, uh, a sort of stroke, I believe, where he, he was incapacitated um, for quite some time and he's not been well at all. Jacqueline Perth, who we've been talking about recently on uh, on our commentaries, um, we've been doing the uh, the two doctors. We're in the process of doing commentaries of the two doctors where uh, Jacqueline Pierce is uh, in that episode. Um, and, of course, lots of other actors. I mean, I think my 
favourite ca- character was the, the Villa character played by Michael Keating. We had a bit of a cast change. Uh, we The series was supposedly coming to an end and then it got extended uh, and we had a, a, quite a bit of cast recurring. And of course, it's um, when it's Blake 7, Orac, which is the, uh, the computer, is actually one of the seven. So, um, really liked it. Avon, yes, Avon's the sort of anti-hero in it. Uh, anybody else want to say anything? I'm quite happy to move on as long ne- as I... Never, ne- never trust the smiling Avon, and I intend to live forever, or at least die trying. Right. Uh, and I suppose, I don't suppose it can be classed as a spoiler now, but I mean, one of the major, major endings of any TV series uh, for its time um, Major ending, 52 episodes, 50-minute uh, episodes each. Um, and uh, try and catch it. Let's go to another really big uh, series. And the next one is at 14. It's Stargate SG-1. More than 200 episodes um, of this. And um, who wants to talk about Stargate? And again, apologies because we would have probably done this over two episodes um, to, to, to give justice. But with the number of people on the, the in the room talking, it's difficult to do that. Let me just say, yeah, 214 episodes and two DVD, direct-to-DVD films. If there's anything I need to read out. ORAC, yes, ORAC. That was uh, one of the characters from Blake 7. But um, Richard Dean Anderson, most people may associate him, I think um, Willis Girl associated him with MacGyver, maybe more, I don't know. Willis Girl, were you a big MacGyver fan before you saw him on Stargate? Uh, Michael Shanks, Amanda Tapping, Christopher Judge, Ben Browder again, Bo Bridges, Claudia Black, um, great cast. And, of course, it spawned off quite a lot of other shows, Stargate Atlantis, uh, Stargate Universe. Um, so we did have other shows following on from that. I'm going to have to move on. I'm sorry. Uh, 13V, this is the 1938 to 19, sorry, 1983 to 1985 series. Then there was a, another, uh, that another go at bringing that back. I'm going to pause and then move on. Sorry if that's one of your favourite shows. At 12, Lost. Um, now I found this completely unfathomable. Um, again, I suppose if you know what the ending was, it may explain an awful lot. Uh, of the actual program but uh, I must uh, admit lost I lost interest in it I think I watched a couple of episodes and uh, then pretty much gave up on it any any defenders of that show on audio again uh, we have got quite a number of people listening but only four of us here on audio okay let's move on to number 11 Firefly 
land Take me where I cannot stand I don't care, I'm still free You can take the sky from me Take me out, to the black Tell them I ain't coming back Burn the land and boil the sea You can take the sky from me And let's hold it there. Um, only 14 episodes. Now, I believe, and I think Mike knows a little bit more than this. Than this. Um, the problem with this is the, the, uh, the order in which the, they, they showed the storyline. I think they didn't play them in what was perceived to be um, what the fans would consider the right order, um, which made it a little bit difficult. Oh, Fox did that with a lot of shows, including Sliders, says Mike in text. Thank you for that. Um, again, uh, got some great characters, Nathan Fillion now, uh, and Gina Torres, both of whom I enjoyed more with their... Uh, well, Nathan Fillion became a, a baddie in uh, the very final series of Buffy, Series 7, and Gina Torres was a, um, uh, played Jasmine, uh, a god or a goddess, in Angel, uh, where they were both well done. Adam Baldwin, I think, came into Angel as well. Uh, and Summer Glau, we know, has done lots of different shows since then. Uh, and um, Mike's also, it's all about the ratings uh, when Sweeps Week is in. And Merlin's a bit more blunt. Fox programming bastards. <laughs> yeah, I think we can say that. Uh, yeah. But um, very, very, very strong uh, following of uh, people with that. And, of course, there was the, the movie Serenity. Okay, uh, number 10, The Outer Limits. Uh, despite an obvious Twilight Zone copycat when it popped up in 1964, um, uh, ABC's spooky uh, anthology series uh, quickly differentiated itself. Again, I'm not going to uh, do too much on this, I don't think. Uh, let's play a little bit of the intro. There is nothing wrong with your television. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are now controlling the transmission. We control the horizontal and the vertical. We can use you with a thousand channels or expand one single image to crystal clarity and beyond and shape your vision to anything our imagination can conceive. We will control all that you see and hear. Yeah, and it came back in 1995 as well. Uh, so I'll just put the link into the second series. Um, does that sound like the newer one? Um, apologies if that's the... Uh, the link to the, the newer one, but uh, it, there were 49 episodes in the earlier one, and in the 1995 one, there were 154 episodes of that. So uh, probably Mike is right, I probably played the clip from the newer one. Okay, let's yeah, move on. Sort of like Tom? the uh, newer um, uh, intro. Uh, I think it should have been, it should be a little higher. Right. Um, um, I think it had some great episodes. 
Um, did it have some clinkers? Yeah, but, um, you know, not everything's gold. Um, but, um, I, I think it had some better episodes than, uh, uh, what was it, uh, season four of Twilight Zone, the hour ones, and oh, then right, season right. five. Um, but, um, unfortunately, um, uh, ratings, I guess, uh, killed it, so. Right. Uh, because it's taken a little while to put in text, uh, let me read what Willis Girl has put. When I was asking about from Stargate SG-1 and uh, the, uh, Richard Dean Anderson, um, I remember Richard Dean Anderson uh, from the soap opera General Hospital, where he played Dr. Rick Webber. Uh, so I'm a big fan of his. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, well, let's move on. Another one that uh, I think Ian liked. I've got the box set. I've uh, started watching it, but stalled on it a little bit, and that is uh, Fringe. Um, and let me uh, put the link into the Fringe, uh, into the room. Uh, Ball Dudes in Hats, Parallel Universes, LSD, Loose Affiliations with J.J. Abrams. These are the ingredients that make a thick, juicy sci-fi show filled with both season-wide arcs and mind scrambles of the week. Um, and um, let me have a look. There were 100 episodes in this five seasons. I'm not sure whether the, it now concluded or whether there are going to be any more of that made. But um, Fringe. No, it was cancelled. Uh, cancelled. There are uh, rumours that it might come back. Um, I believe Netflix... Ah, perhaps that, yeah, perhaps somebody's trying to resurrect it, you mean, yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Um, okay. Since, I, since I said that, I uh, was a fan, but unfortunately um, um, uh, it was something you had to watch every episode of, or you'd be totally lost, and I missed quite a few episodes. <laughs> but from what I saw, I liked. Right. Okay, let's move on. Uh, number eight, Neon Genesis um, Evangelion, is that? Uh, another animated huge franchise in Japan featuring video games, feature films, and even a theme park. It had an initial mid-90s run and was in many ways a perfect anime, uh, especially because it hasn't been quite embraced by the American mainstream. Uh, again, if uh, Mike wants to put something in text, I'll read it out. Otherwise, I'm going to move on to number seven, The Prisoner. Uh, so, um, again, uh, this, uh, we're back to UK uh, programs. Uh, the Prisoner followed on from The Danger Man, Patrick McGowan uh, playing the main part. Just see if I can find um, another page link to uh, put in the room. This had uh, definitely cult status. Um, and not only did he act in it, of course, it was his um, his baby, wasn't it? Um, we had yeah, the he iconic. Did it? I believe he directed quite a few of them. Right. Yeah. Uh, had that uh, very uh, science fiction-looking ball that um, would would try and get any escapees of these um, supposed agents that are under some sort of scrutiny. Filled in North Wales in Port Merion. 
fantastic place to go and visit. That was the, the same place that they filmed the Doctor Who episode, uh, Mask of Mandragra. Uh, that was filmed uh, at the same location. Um, yeah, uh, 17 episodes, uh, 50 minutes each, and that was um, September 67 to February 68. And Merlin puts, the original is a must-see. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Uh, now, um, uh, again, I think um, it's just uh, putting something in about the earlier one, is it? Um, uh, yes, the, the Neon Genesis Evangelion. Uh, really dark series, but great. Eva deserves to be in the top ten on this list. Well, it's in eight, so uh, good for you. And as I say, prisoner at number seven. We're going to go to number six, and we are at the the original uh, Star Trek. are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Stop it there. And uh, in the closing credits where you see the Orion, <clears throat> I'm not sure it's in that one, but in one of the episodes that they've just recently screened, the, the actress who played the um, the the dancing Orion has, has sadly just passed away, hasn't she? Um, I'm not sure whether I can locate the episode. Uh, they're yeah, reassuring you. all-time favourite. This is my all-time favourite sci-fi movie. Just wanted to let you cut I thought you were done. Sorry. No, absolutely not. Yeah, you're yeah. pleased. Uh, I mean, it's it's my favorite based on the fact that it's so it's one of the oldest that I, that I remember, you know, from my you know coming up as a child, living in Lake Elsinore and watching my you know, on sitting in front of the TV, you know, with my my grandmother and and my uncle, and my brothers and sisters, you know, and it's just to you know it's one of those it's like when Superman, you know. Uh, came out, you know, that, that's the same thing, you know, similar environment. So it brings back nostalgia for me. I think that's, I mean, certainly there are some, some, some more modern heavyweight, heavy hitters, you know, sci-fi. I'm sure a lot of those I haven't even gotten, like, you know, uh, <clears throat> many mentioned on this call, but I still feel like the, you know, the oldie is the, is the that, that's my favorite one right there. So appreciate you letting me share that. Right, and I'm trying to remember. We did talk about the 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 actress that had died, and uh, I can't Sivan remember. Craig, the... Batgirl. Thank you, thank you. Of course, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yeah. Thank you for that. Um. So right, okay. Um, Darth, do you want to come back in on this one? I know you perhaps had a distracting call earlier. Yeah, I'm 
Perhaps had to still step away, I think. Okay, yeah, well, let me just say, I mean, um, I mean, they're still showing them now. I must admit, by the way, uh, I'm not watching them in high definition, but um, they still look pretty good. Uh, they've been obviously remastered, and the Blu-rays, um, I believe, look fantastic. But um, they've changed the aspect ratio, gone in, uh, and because it was most, well, because it was filmed, uh, they've been able to do a, a pretty slap job. Uh, I also just read a, a recent story where the, the, the original 12-foot or 16-foot model of the Enterprise um, is being restored. Um, it's having a, a, a complete master treatment and being restored so it can go uh, on display again. Um, and uh, there's, uh, I think if you look on YouTube, there's, um, there's a, a thing you can watch about that. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, so, uh, and Merle is just correcting me with the. Is uh, repeated. It is the dagger of the mind, but um, she's not the slave girl that's in the ending sequence. She is just in that one episode. Uh, she was an ex-ballet dancer, of course, uh, uh, where she features doing like the Salome dance in that one. Okay, we're, we're going to move on. Uh, we've got because everything here is important. But number five, we've got this. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Yeah, and as I said, uh, Rick Wall and myself have a special affinity with this one. We've talked about it. Um, there was um, quite a lot of uh, distress over the later seasons. Uh, I think uh, Bobby from Talking Twilight Zone and Lynn feels as though they should have st stopped after was it Series 3, Rick Wall? Uh, season 3, yeah. Um, uh, Lynn, not so much. Bobby was really adamant about it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, what can you say? Uh, excluding, well, no, I think there were some good hour episodes. Uh, but um, you know, as a, as a whole, was the fourth season as good as uh, one through three? Season one through three? No. Uh, right. But um, you know, is everything that anybody does gold all the time? No. But um, no, I should. Does it belong here? Uh, I have my slight doubts, but uh, yeah, I'll leave it here for now. Would you put it in the top ten at least? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, there's some there's some classic episodes, um, uh, time enough at last, and so on, and uh, uh, the monsters on Maple Street. Yeah, yeah. Stop, uh, stop at Willoughby. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, quite a few. Definitely uh, worth going back and uh, watching some of them. To Serve Man, that was another one. I that said was, that, uh, yeah. yeah. The one where the nuclear... Was that the one you're talking about with the guy lost his glasses? He was the last person on Earth? It was after yeah, a that's war. right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Burgess Meredith, who was in quite a lot of them, he played the, that one uh, in that one. There's some... Uh, uh, great actors that uh, appeared in in those Charles Bronson, uh, 
uh, lots of different actors, really. It's a wonderful yeah. life. Mm-hmm. The Bill yeah. Not to mention, you guys, the uh, the marathon. I typed into the chat room. I think the marathon made the Twilight Zone stand out a little more among the mainstream uh, viewers, just because it was pushed a li- little bit more, you know, by the by the mainstream media uh, outlets. You know, I think. Wouldn't you agree to that at least? No. So, okay. What is your t- what's your what's your take then on as to? I'm uh, sure it's great. You know, they have some great content, uh, very original. But other other series didn't receive the same attention. Uh, they, well, they well have could you know, but they and they're and they're up here on the top ten list. But they weren't. There's never a mar- marathon uh, of them. So I think I'm just just from reasoning this this out. I'm sure. I'm sure it's a financial reason. There's probably a financial reason behind it. Um, you know. Um, uh, well, was Twilight Zone an influential show? Yes. Uh, did the marathon make it more so? Or the sci-fi marathons, like in, in Labor Day and uh, mm-hmm. um, um, New Year's? No. Uh, and I think they've done a really horrible disservice to it because they chop on some of the marathons they chop up episodes mercifully mm-hmm. mercifully I mean mercifully I know no, got me not, not mercifully no. mercifully with no mercy <laughs> not mercy you're right Indeed. that's a good point mm-hmm. okay let's uh, let's move on to um the second airing of um, uh, Battlestar Galactica, but the uh, 2004 to 2009 returning. Uh, the finest artistic reaction to the 9-11 terror attacks is the Battlestar Galactica reboot, says this site. Furthermore, the episode 33 from the first season, right after the initial miniseries that kicked off the series, is my favourite sci-fi television episode of all time. Um, of course, we had a, a, a variation of the silence again, without being spoilers. But um, um, I think it, it, it's known that the silence could take human form in this particular way, and, and uh, there was a big search for one of the silence, and everybody was trying to speculate who that was, and that was adding a sort of other level of interest and uh, to it. Four seasons, seventy-five episodes. Uh, and came to an end in March 2009. Um, again, uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, well, Darth had to sort of drop off. Um, we heard his phone, so I, I think he would have made statement. But he did, he did refer to this earlier on. Uh, so I'm going to move on because we are well beyond our time now. So let's try and lose. number three: Star Trek: uh, The Next Generation. Let's have a little intro of that. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyagers of the Starship Enterprise. 
its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. I'll stop that there now. Um, well, yes, with Jean-Luc Picard as the captain, played uh, by Patrick Stewart. Seven seasons, 176 episodes. Patrick uh, moved uh, to the States uh, to take on that. He didn't think it was going to last many weeks, so he didn't bring his family over to start with. Uh, and then, of course, um, it lasted seven years. Jonathan Frakes, playing his second-in-command, who uh, ended up directing quite a few of them. Uh, Levar Burton, who I believe I beat for Darth, uh, his, his, um, uh, who played Geordie. His, I think Geordie's his favourite character on uh, Star Trek Next Generation. Uh, Brent Spinner, uh, of course, uh, playing the Pinocchio character, you might say. And then lots of other actors. Whoopi Goldberg making an appearance is uh, Martina Sirtis. Uh, Gates McFadden, Michael Dorn, as Worf. Um, so, uh, great cast. Uh, Donaldson, is this one of your shows of, uh, that you enjoy? Absolutely. Yes, definitely. I mean, it took me, took me uh, a lot of time in front, uh, you know, in front of the TV enjoying myself, basically. I spent a lot of time watching these episodes. The newer generation, as you know, uh, particularly like how Picard actually does the, the intro. Um, do you know if Do you know if the if William Shatner did the did the intro for the for the previous yeah. series? Did yeah. He? Very cool. So they kept that tradition going, which is good. Um, but, uh, are you a fan of Q and the, the other? Th- I mean, there's lots of different uh, variations on it. Yeah, um, there are a fa- there are various. Uh, I love. Space, the and you know, and since I grew up watching Star Trek, then I obviously migrated towards those episodes as they grew. I have one percent on my phone, FYI. So I'm. I was just typing oh. in. I might not make it make it to hear number one. But okay. But yeah, well, um, no, I'm, I'm, I just just want to say thank you. You know, uh, this this was definitely um, a fun call. But uh, yeah, Q. Now remind me here real quick here because I think that if if I'm not mistaken, that's an that's a character, isn't it? No? Yeah, well, the 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 Q's they they're all called the Q, but uh, there was the 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 main one that uh, that and John Delancey, right. Right. who was also in Torchwood. He played uh, he was in one episode of Torchwood as well. Well, I can't give as deep of commentary as you guys can, obviously, but I really appreciate being able to be taken back over these files again. So thanks a lot for this, Dave. Okay, well, look, if your phone's dying, the the number one. Uh, well, let no, let's. Uh, if if your phone's just about to die, um, I can always go back to the recording. Okay, thanks very much for that. Okay, no um, well, uh, anything to say on Star Trek: Next Generation? Yeah, um, uh, not as much as uh, the classic, but um, yeah. Um, I didn't like when they redid some of the episodes in the first season, but uh, it grew on me uh, later. Right. Uh, 
which was which was your overall favourite captain? Huh? I mean, there are some people that say, you know, if you watch the Big Bang Theory, they're always arguing about which Cisco. is the best Star Trek, which is the best. Cisco's your favourite. Okay, right. Okay. Um, I I I'd jump off a cliff if he were a commander in in the military, and I was a follower for her. Right. Okay. Well, um, I, because of time, um, I, I'm going to sort of just limit myself that you know I I, I really do enjoy it. Um, I think that they've got the nice spread of uh, characters in it. Um, I still think I don't know whether I I, I would put Enterprise as my favourite, even though the but I think that's because I like the lead actor and the cap uh, uh, the the captain, uh, and of course. Uh, Ian famously uh, loves the uh, Voyager series. So I'm going to jump because we've only got two more left and we're powering down at the moment. Uh, there's not much left in the dilithium crystals. So at number two, uh, we've got the X-Files. Um, again, uh, Mike's not on audio, but I think Mike's uh, been doing a marathon watching uh, the X-Files just recently. Um, and of course... Uh, there was a, an X-File movie that followed on from that. But let me just say there two nine seasons, 202 episodes of that. Uh, and let's read what Mike's put in. Thank you for doing that, Mike. Uh, X-Files definitely deserves to be in the top 10. It's a product of the 90s. All the alien and UFO theories, government conspiracies, etc. Uh, show fell off in quality for the last two seasons but still a great show overall. And Merlin puts that coming back soon, so it seems. So, excellent. Uh, but I am going to move on to our final one. Number one, it's uh, this particular program. I'm still not quite sure. I've got used to that new theme. Uh, it's still not quite my favourite just yet. Um, uh, Mike um, feels as though it shouldn't be on his list. I think he feels as though the Doctor has been taken in the wrong direction. I do have my issues with some of the fairy tale aspects of it, um, but I am definitely a fan of um, uh, you know uh, the way Peter Capaldi's taking the Doctor, and I do like Clara. I'm glad she's no longer the impossible girl, and I'm hopefully hoping that in Series 9 we're going to have an ordinary companion. Now the Doctor, from his blast of um, 12, uh, well, his new set of regenerations, oh, Willis Girl's back, thank you, Willis Girl. Um, I feel as though, you know, he's had this am I a good man deliberation, um, and he's on his long journey now to find Gallifrey, a long way around. And hopefully, you know, there are no um, season arcs that are going to stretch way and beyond to the breaking point. Uh, I just want to see Clara unencumbered going with the Doctor on adventures and, and perhaps, you know, touching his nose. Who knows? 
whether they're going to see some old familiar faces. So I am very excited about season nine. We've got only 12 episodes and a Christmas special, not 13 and the special, uh, but I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Mike has stepped away from Doctor Who, as we know. Ian's still very excited. I think I can speak for Willis Girl uh, and others that they are looking forward to it. Uh, but let's Rick because he's on audio. Rick Wall. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm as a matter of fact, even though I've uh, kind of um, uh, have uh, some doubts on some of the writing and whatnot, um, um, you know, from last season. Uh, and um, but uh, I I like Capaldi. I like. Uh, um, uh, Jenna, and I want to apologize to Ken. He said that I'd come back, and he was right when I was thinking of dropping out also, if you remember last year. Right, uh, yes. Um, but uh, I'm still here. I Again, like I said, basically uh, uh, because I like uh, Peter, and uh, like you, I like the way he's taking it. And uh, uh, since he's doing it sort of in the vein or an homage to my favorite doctors of the classic um, um, series, uh, number three, John Pertwee. Yes, lots of doctors. You got me till till it's got a really bad script, a really bad episode. Uh, So, uh, yeah, am I looking forward to it? Yes, with reservations. Good. Uh, uh, 100, uh, 813 episodes. That's just over. Um, well, that was 97 still missing. Well, we don't know if there's going to be any more news on that. We'll leave that debate on the ground. So, at uh, the top of the Esquire uh, 50 greatest sci fi TV shows ever, they have put Doctor. Who at the top, and I think um, it must be the uh, UK edition of the Squire. Assuming there's an American and UK edition, um, there is definitely a more of a bias towards the UK than you perhaps would have thought. Um, oh, and Merlin's put uh, it's a return to Pertwee in a lot of ways. So I don't care about. Uh, oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole point about is when Doctor Who is. People are liking it more and more. Other people are not liking it more and more. Uh, uh, but I do, I do hope they get away a little bit from the fairy tale. Right, I'm going to bring our very long show to the end soon, but not without um, one little bit of homework. Our pause for thought. I had a quick look at what shows weren't included in this, and then I came up. With just this brief list, Arrow, Smallville, Batman, Buffy, Angel, Highlander, Enterprise, The Tripods, UFO, Crime Traveller, The Flipside of Dominique Hyde, Survivors, the 1975 version, Forever Night, Bionic Woman, Wonder Woman, The Tomorrow People, The Incredible Hulk, Day of the Triffids miniseries, Time Tunnel, Primeval, Xena, Merlin, Ashes to Ashes, Warehouse 13, that's in there for you, Ian. Misfits, Sapphire and Steel, Randall and Hopkirk Deceased, Roswell, Planet of the Apes TV series, 
Andromeda, Terra Nova, the 100. Uh, too late to be included may be the new Flash, Gotham, Daredevil, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So with that, uh, the one, three hours um, third time. One, you can eliminate three quarters of that list with me saying uh, superheroes and fantasy. Not okay. sci-fi. Right, yeah. right. Okay. Well, with that, I'm going to thank Rick Wall staying on audio with me to the end. Donaldson staying with me until his phone died. Uh, Mike uh, and Darth uh, carrying uh, the show with us as well. And also with uh, Merlin and Willis Girl uh, putting lots of stuff in text. Um, Oscar talked as well. And uh, Tim Fisher was with us earlier. Some other guests. Donaldson. Um, so everybody thank you very much the Colton Collective will be back uh, going to week the shows from the 20th Sunday the 20th of September when one day after two, series 9 episode 1 The Magician's Apprentice has aired we will be doing our review and then shortly after hopefully doing commentaries for it so um, Oscar Talks I think I'm going to have to bring the show to the end there but um, thank you for the thoughts uh, Oscar's uh, any thoughts on the new sci-fi shows of this year? Yeah, I'm loving Arrow. I've not watched Flash yet. I'm enjoying Gotham. I'm enjoying The Wonder, which I'm catching up with. Um, and um, though, oh, and I'm re-watching uh, Fringe and Warehouse 13. Those are not the new ones. But I'm glad that Flash is going. Glad that Arrow's going. Oh, and Daredevil. I really, really enjoyed Daredevil. Thought that's fantastic. So with that, dark matter. Okay, I'll have to check that one out, Oscar Talks. Thank you. With that, thank you, Rick Wall. Thank you, everybody else. The Killjoys, I'll have to check that out as well. Uh, but I'm going to find our outro somewhere here in my 120 uh, links here. There it is. Thanks, Rick Wall. Thanks, everyone. You're welcome. Ian will be back running the show. Less mistakes next time. Sunday, the 20th of September, 2 p.m. Eastern. Call ID 54821. Bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.